This is Kari Randolph, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Booyah. Everybody's bringing their A-game tonight. You know I am. I don't expect anything less. Seriously. I went to Jersey Mike's tonight. Oh, those are, those hoagies are great. You call them hoagies or subs? Not our feet. I call them subs. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. I call them hoagies. I guess it's the Philly in me. Yeah, well, again, Pennsylvania, so I call them hoagies too. But uh, you're not wrong saying subs. It's like I, we we got one point uh, two miles from my house, so. The only unacceptable one is grinders. Yes, exactly. I agree. I've never heard that one. Totally agree. Except like a Boston one. Oh, gee, man. Grinder, hoagie, wedge, sub. (laughs) Wedge? What is A wedge is a salad with some blue cheese dressing. Right? Yeah, that's... Yep. They're they're, they're called wedges in Westchester specifically, but yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. That's some nonsense. It's craziness. So no, I'm not saying nonsense. I'm saying them calling it a wedge. Is no, I know. I mean, that's it's 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 right on the it's right on the menu. You can get you know if you want a chicken parm uh, roll or wedge. It's but yeah, I mean it's 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 the long bread. It, it's I know Renee and I will sometimes we want not an argument, but but there's there's something that she she refers to it one way, and it's. I don't know if it was just her and her brother. I don't think it was a Bronx thing, but it's weird. But yeah, it's 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 the type of sandwich that just has more names than 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 necessary. And I don't even know if it's it's not really a regional thing. It might either it might just be a um like a neighborhood thing because it's is it, it, it it's weird. I don't know, but yeah, I've worked at a deli. I've I've heard I've heard them call it everything. And there's only one thing to call this, and it's eleven o'clock comics. Specifically, episode 729. What? I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Yes, you are. And I am everyone's favorite plus-size model turned nightly news anchor, Julia Morris. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're not. You're Jason Wood, everybody. And we have a, a guest. Jason, who is it? Who's with oh, us man. tonight? You know, first of all, this this gentleman is not only a good friend of ours, but he's he's also a big wrestling mark. And I feel like like a proper intro would involve uh, pyrotechnics. Yeah, we, we'd have we'd have feathered robes, and we'd have you know this is a man of he's worn many belts. This is a man who <laughs> we, we've known forever, as many of our audience have known forever, as cutting his teeth by doing a kick-ass web comic back in the day. So we've been repping since the days of space mullets, but. But many more people have come to know this this man's greatness, thanks to uh, to his his phenomenal creator owned work. And then he he was tired of dominating creator owned scene, so he decided to go to DC and totally reshape the world of Wonder Woman. And then he was like, "Eh, I, I I've done did that and conquered DC. So what's next? Oh, I'm gonna go to the House of Ideas and spice that up because there's not much going on there. And I'm gonna drop some Beta Ray Bill cosmic goodness on you. And then on top of all that." For you art collectors out there, if you don't have a commission from this man, I would dare say you can't really call yourself a serious modern comic commission art collector. Because he's definitely one of the must-haves in the business and has been for a number of years. Of course, I'm talking about our good friend and former IWGP champion, Daniel Warren Johnson. Hello, everybody. Wow, that was some intro. 
I know. I feel like I should leave now. (laughs) Nah. Every every good hero needs a hype man. It's true. It's true. I've come up through the ranks. I started in the indies, and I came up in the you know the outskirts promotions. You know, trying to get noticed, trying to. You were doing high school, high school cafeteria shows. All that, all that backyard Trying stuff. to do these crazy dives, trying to get Fun noticed. Yep. <laughs> Diving on the folding table. wire on tables. Tope con duos. Now look at you. Now you're, now, you're in the, now you're in the main event at the, uh, at, 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 at the Tokyo Dome, freaking taking down Okada. <laughs> that is awesome. Speaking of the indies, where can you get your independently publish books cheaper far cheaper than anybody else where discount comic book service dcbservice.com where you can get your books get them fast and delivered right to your door in honor of our guests tonight i'm not going to go through the whole spiel if you want to hear the meat and potatoes about these books you're going to have to wait till next episode but i'm going to wet your will wheaton whistle with the titles uh from dynamite it's the invincible red sonia number one by Jimmy Palmiotti, Amanda Connor, illustrated by Moritat. Shut up. This is the first issue of what I hope is an ongoing series. $3.99 cover price. Your price, $1.99. And uh, in the middle, from AWA Upshot, this is Marjorie Finnegan, Temporal Criminal Number 1. Written by some guy named Garth Ennis. Illustrated by Goran Suzuka. <laughs> Uh, cover by Andy Clark. The uh, price on this thing is three ninety nine. Again, dollar uh, ninety nine. You're taking it home. And last but certainly not least, from Marvel, we got Cole the Destroyer, the original Marvel Years Omnibus hardcover, specifically the Mike Plug cover. Uh, this thing is a hundred and twenty five dollars. And you say, wow, that's a lot of money, Vince. I don't know if I can pay that. Well, you're getting a lot of stuff for it. You're getting Cull the Conqueror, number 1 to 10. Cull the Destroyer, 11 to 29. Creatures on the Loose, number 10. Monsters on the Prowl, 16. Plus the front stories from Cull and the Barbarians, number 1 to 3. Savage Sword of Conan, number 9. Conan the Barbarian, number 10. And Conan Annual, number 3. We're talking Mike Plug. Marie Severin, John Severin, uh, you need this book. Say no more, right? Thulsa Doom. $125 cover price. Ha, ha, ha. You're laughing all the way to the bank because you are only paying $62.50. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions, and you get your books right where you want them, delivered right to your front door. Picking up a wedge is more difficult than ordering from Discount Comic Book Service dcbservice.com that's it that's all I got mm, that's shame yeah we'll talk about the specifics of those next time because you can wait. get kind of length- lengthy you know what I'm saying you think yeah it, it little, can a little it bit does. but that's alright though yeah so I just wanted that's to right. spare our guest you know he's here for one purpose and that's to talk to us about Beta Ray Bill that's oh. true but before we talk about Beta Ray Bill I need to ask you Vince what are you drinking well, <laughs> I'm drinking. <laughs> I'm drinking some flavored water, but well, what uh, kind of flavor though? Specifically, it's the pesh, peach. Oh, yeah. interesting. I, I like the peach. I don't think I'm about the peach. I mean, I like the peach, wink, wink. But I don't know if I like the peach seltzer. 
Yeah, I got to be in the mood for it. It's it's not as uh, strong subtle. as Black Cherry. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Subtle. Yeah, whatever. Uh, You're not drinking it. I love peach. All right, settle down. Hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not begrudging you. Oh, yeah, what, crap. What's the brand of that seltzer you, you drink? Yeah, is that like Clear American? Never heard of it. Never heard of, heard of that. No, yeah, it's not a local uh, joint. No, it's a Walmart thing. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Very much love and respect to you. Well, I am, uh, for the first time in, in several episodes, because of our special guest, I am breaking out the Alki Hall. And uh, I'm having some, uh, it's from Vineyard Block Estates. Uh, it's 205 Reserve, their Cabernet Sauvignon. This is a, it, it's a, it's a dust-covered bottle. It's 2015. And uh, I figured, you know, if, if I was going to have some wine for the first time in a while, I'm going to make it a good bottle. And uh, it's delightful. It's, it's very, very tasty. It's almost as, as, as wonderful an experience as, uh, as the interview we're about to conduct. Wow. It's always, <laughs> always conceptually sound. I love it. Good Lord. Yeah, how about you? Uh, I am I'm finishing the uh, homemade pasta tonight. So I had a nice glass of wine. I'm finishing that right now. It's uh, it's Pinot Noir. Uh, Dalliance in California is who put it in the bottle. And once this uh, is consumed, I have some, uh, some nice, refreshing, delicious... Ice cold from the tap. Peaks go water. Mm-hmm. Here you go. It makes our great pizza. And Dan, what are you I, drinking, buddy? I feel like, well, it's not very often that I'm on a, you know, a show with you fine folks. And I feel like every time that I'm on this show, my career, like, you know, has a little hop, skip, and jump in a Ice, very positive right. way. <laughs> So I am going deep into the celebrations with a whistle pig rye. Mm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, dude. And I never open. I never pour this. It's so, the bottle's like two years old. So feel special now. Oh, now, now. All right. I'm going to finish this and go downstairs and get something nice. All right. Oh, yeah. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> Shit. Nice. nice. Well, uh, we were talking off air, so we already said all this, but welcome to the show. It's good to have you back. It's so great to be here. And uh, how have you been? Uh, how have you been handling this? This we're, we're basically at what, like two days beyond. We're, I think it was either yesterday or the day before that was the official declaration of the pandemic, right? So we're we're about a year into it, and uh, yeah. sir, we haven't seen you. I would imagine you haven't seen many people other than your direct family. So how you been handling it? And uh, are you looking forward to getting back into the, uh, the, the 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 social part of comics? Oh my god. I'm drowning. <laughs> I'm dying here. We talked a little bit about it before, but um, you know, I'm a pretty social guy. I feel like that's pretty apparent when you see me at shows and I'm yakking like, you know, nobody's business. But I love it. I love hanging out with people. I love connecting over stuff that I love, and um, I I do love talking with people like at shows and even at like comic book store signings or even just meeting new people at the comic book store. I just love meeting new people and. Not even to mention, you know, getting to hang out with peers when I travel. I miss it bad. I miss my friends. I miss the community. Uh, so I'm I'm struggling. And I remember the memes getting shared, like, on the social medias of people almost, like, jokingly celebrating, like, I'm a comic book artist. I don't need to see people. <laughs> and uh, I'm just, 
I saw that and I was like, oh no, it's definitely not me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's been, I mean, I know we've all had our challenges, but uh, I've, I've been really struggling, especially now as we're, you know, I have a lot of interests, like uh, I, <laughs> I play golf, uh, I uh, build Gundam models, I'm really into pro wrestling, uh, I like to paint, uh, like plain air paint, like buildings and architecture in my spare time. I play the guitar, and now we're shit out of things to do because I'm done with it all. I'm I'm so bored. I'm just watching <laughs> The Sopranos for the third time. Oh, uh, That's yeah. under a husband so, and a dad of youngins as well. Oh yeah, and uh, you know they're which they've been like my saving grace through all this. My wife Rachel and my daughter, three-year-old daughter Fiona. But uh, I'm sure, as we all know, the family like being in a two-bedroom apartment with a family, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, t- specifically the Gundam models, having been bit by that bug myself, mm. you never ever just buy a Gundam model and build it. And then you move on, you buy another one, you build it. Gundam fans always buy in bulk, right? Because you never know when Bandai is going to stop making them, right? So I, I, you, what happens when you pull the last crappy zaku off the shelf that you've been dreading the build like what eat do you go and buy more or just like it because the thing that that kills me to in a sense about you is you're so freaking good at too many things (laughs) i could i could take the being a great illustrator which you are but we've seen and heard you play guitar (laughs) and it's ridiculous and then, oh, yes, I'm writing my own uh, concept uh, record. Like, stop. And then, you know, you golf and you build awesome Gundam models. And, it, and it's just, it's, you're the guy who we all admire, but when you leave, we're like, that guy, why is he so good at everything? I, I just love you. There have been sorry. a few times I've posted like guitar videos, and there are some comments which are like, this fucking guy. Well, it's true. Right, it is very true. You you've been blessed with being an, just a remarkable illustrator, and then to add even more icing on that cake, it's kind of unfair. Just, I'm just saying, it's kind of unfair. Well, you haven't seen me play golf, and let me tell you, it's a humbling experience. Yeah, I hope you suck. No offense, I do I, suck. <laughs> I do suck. But uh, well, you were nice enough to let us actually take a, a gander at Beta Ray Bill number one. And um, I don't. I'm not going to speak specifically about the story unless you know you want to. But all I got to say is, um, we've seen uh, your quote widescreen um, proclivities. Like you do big things. The Star Wars and the Trek minis were big stories, right? In sure. inter life scope. Um, but the page really can't contain you on this Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> it, it's a really, really big story, and in big, I mean like just massive things happening in in scale. Yep. yep. Uh, I'm sure that was intentional. It was. It was. I found that um, drawing a spaceship, like, because I really wanted Scuttlebutt to be a huge part of the story, um, and like really include. That's really the why you want the story is. That's basically why. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I just, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that part of the character was included. So that being said, trying to fit a spaceship onto a page is, uh, it's not easy. 
and uh, trying to make sure that it's, everything's clear while also having like the spaceship twirling around in like a three quote three D space. Uh, it takes a lot of room. It's, it's a lot of it takes a lot of planning. Yeah, and you so. also have the eye of a cinematographer too because um, it's a challenge, right? How do you depict this this ship in in three dimensions but you weren't you weren't content to do that you uh, forced the perspective by putting a parapet of like a a a castle and a a row of archers underneath and it's like damn it's so slick it was beautiful yeah thank you very much (laughs) but i mean can can we speak of the story yeah go ahead i don't care uh, I, I can't speak for uh, Jason, but I, I know David's not reading much of this this uh, King and Black stuff, right? Okay. Uh, but I was very, very pleasantly surprised that even though it is uh, somewhat tied to King and Black, you really don't have to know anything about what's going on in that corner of the Marvel Universe, right? Because when the issue opens, it's like Thor's out fighting um null and whatever else is going on and 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 asgard is is uh not undefended but uh it's lacking a champion mm-hmm. and so yeah I'm, I'm yeah i'm glad you brought that up it's one thing that when i was talking with marvel when we were first doing the project it was just going to be a beta ray of bill story and that was that and this is way before king and black was really a thing um and then this is before even uh, i started working on wonder woman and then when I came back around to Marvel saying, hey, any chance you would want to do the Beta Ray Bill thing? I'm finishing up with Wonder Woman. They uh, were very positive, very like 100%, let's do it. And then the pandemic hit really hard. And this is right around Diamond getting shut down. And my editor, uh, Will Moss, sent me an email and he's like, hey, we got to yellow light this until we figure out what's going on. We're not convinced that Beta Ray Bill is going to do well in a pandemic era. <laughs> Um, which I totally understood. Yeah. And I started working on some commissions and, um, then around June, July rolled around and things were kind of picking back up. The new normal was coming into focus and, uh, you know, Marvel was like, Hey, we're thinking if we just take one issue to get out of King and black and say, it's a King and black tie in really a name only, then you can go off and do whatever you want past issue one. Um, so the only thing I had to I had five they they gave me five issues and my editor was like just get Bill out of a uh, a King and Black thing in the beginning of issue one and then you're off to the races do whatever you want that makes me so happy yeah um, it made me happy too because um okay. I really wanted to work on Beta Ray Bill and um I've never worked in the uh like in a in you know a big universe like that with like rules and other now- characters being in different dimensions. <laughs> This was all right. So, so this I, I I was thinking about this since, since the book was announced and then reading the first issue. Um, how was it always your intent? So, so, so judging by the first issue, it looks like you're actually going to be able to tell. You're going to tell a story that will affect Beta Ray and whatever happens in the future. You, you you're you're doing something to this character, for this character, whatever you want to say. And it chances are, it, it looks to me in the first issue that there may be ripples. Whereas Wonder Woman, because it was, because of, of the story of what Dead Earth is about, 
you weren't really messing around with continuity. You weren't you didn't have to worry about whatever else is going on in the DC universe. Here, obviously, it's a King and Black crossover, psych, and then you get to do your own thing, but you are working on a character that actually is in continuity. Is that um is is that daunting is that something that uh you were you originally thinking of maybe doing something like dead earth where you it was it was it was a what if or an else worlds or whatever or that it could be its own thing or did you really intend on you know you're going to leave your mark uh on beta ray bill so to speak it was definitely the kind of i the ideas that i had i was thinking that i wouldn't really be able to do them in the marvel universe so i just I was thinking at the time, I was like, well, I really want to work on Beta Ray Bill. I don't think DC, I don't think Marvel is going to allow for like a special what-if story about Beta Ray Bill. So I basically tried to take take my story and kind of like bring it into a version that I th- thought could maybe fit in the universe. And when I was originally thinking about this and kind of pitching it to Marvel, Beta Ray Bill was not really a player. Um, I don't remember... Beta Ray Bill showing up a ton in Jason Aaron's run. Uh, I could be wrong about that, um, but I, I just remember did. him. I'm, I just remember him like kind of taking a back seat uh, and not really showing up, if at all. And uh, it just was by happenstance. Like I, I had been talking with Donnie a little bit about my ideas, but it, we were always like working on different projects. And you know, he's like, "Oh, I'm doing this Thor thing," and I'm like, "Oh, I'm doing Wonder Woman," and. Uh, I think Donnie just loved Beta Ray Bill, and so it was kind of this like glorious happenstance where Thor was kind of intertwined in the King and Black slash Thor universe already in a big way. And I don't know, it's like I don't know how it worked out, but um, just the way that every the way that with um, Thor breaking Bill's hammer, everything kind of working out just the way that I was kind of envisioning already for uh beta ray bill in the story it just kind of fit perfectly it's kind of scary actually and the fact that like i started i basically got started in comics with donnie anyway so <laughs> that's true yeah good point but i i'm reading Uh-oh. the tea leaves about uh, on the first issue and if i think if i if what i think happens is going to happen you're really not breaking the character you're you're basically um putting him back kind of you're you're yeah. allowing yeah. other people to to have a go at this character that's you know uh i don't want to spoil it for anyone but it seems like you're you're going to be um a very uh benign ending to this i'm hoping that's the way it looks like it's going to be to me we shall see you know, I am, uh, <laughs> well i i was going to cut his head off and, and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. what I'd love to know is is because you, I didn't realize until you just mentioned it that you were kind of forming this idea before Wonder Woman. Because I know when we saw you in person back when we used to get to see people in pe- in person, um, we talked about Wonder Woman like before it was a, a fully rendered thing. And so, like, what? Um, like, I guess the question probably a lot of people have is is why Beta Ray Bill, right? Like, I mean, he's a character we all dig, but but what specifically made you want to do a Beta Ray Bill story? There's a few reasons. It's a great question. Uh, I was drawn... Well, one of the reasons I was drawn to Wonder Woman is because I felt like the character uh, was not... didn't really have a take that I was really excited about. Um, 
Whereas with Beta Ray Bill, it was my favorite take on any character that I'd ever read in the Marvel Universe, period, uh, with Walt Simonson's amazing run with his kind of appearance in Thor. And so I kind of, it was just kind of a dream project of me wanting to tackle something that I loved. And I remember I was basically trying to decide between Wonder Woman and Beta Ray Bill. I basically had two offers on the table. Um, and, you know, the way the offer got started at Marvel is uh, Marvel's editor-in-chief stopped by at C2E2 a while ago, and, and a few C2E2s ago, and he was like, what does it take to get you over at Marvel and, you know, do a story with us? And I was like, Beta Ray Bill, give me Beta Ray Bill. Um, and he, he looked at me a little, like, with a bit of a funny look, like, he's like, okay. And I think maybe he was thinking, like, I would say Spider-Man or Wolverine, um, but the visual... The visual character of Beta Ray Bill, how weird he looks, the fact that he travels in a spaceship, uh, the fact that he's like in a place like Asgard, almost like out of just out of sorts. He doesn't, he almost doesn't really belong there. I just loved his character. I loved his look. I love the technology, and I love it marrying with the Asgardian vibe. And um, it's kind of like one of those things. It's like a bucket list thing where it's like I've always wanted to try and tackle this and see if I could respect the character the way that I think I can. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't feel this way about any other Marvel character at all. I'd love to do a Spider-Man story, but I don't have any ideas, but man, I got Beta Ray Bill stories. <laughs> that, that answer is so you, though. It, it's like, uh, you would, you would expect, you know, Captain America or Wolverine, but no, you want to do Charlie 27. You know what I mean? Like, it's exactly. so typically you. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, so it, it's basically just like... This is like the thing that would get me at Marvel is a Beta Ray Bill story. You know, I, otherwise I would rather do uh, another creator own thing. So um, this is what it took. Yikes. That, I know. I, <laughs> and, and for the first issue to you, – you would think that a, a battle with Fin Fang Foom would be like that's, – that's – enough for an entire mini miniseries right but it, it it happens in the very first issue and it's it it's not even the whole thing it's not yeah. even the whole first issue it's so silly well one funny thing that i was going back and forth with the tutorial when we were first start i was first starting to write it we basically needed some sort of bad guy to come and like threaten asgard and so we're like throwing back ideas about like what could be used and my the whole time i'm just uh editorial was throwing me ideas and i hadn't put any ideas out there and then i i they were like what about this i was like no 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 and then i was like let's do fin fang foom and they're like 100 percent, let's do it <laughs> uh i've always wanted to draw him I, somebody commissioned me to draw him a long time ago and ever since then i was like let's do it this is this is what i want yeah it looks great it's just Thank amazing you. yeah Thank yeah i mean you. big big bombastic cosmic action with gigantic kaiju like that's right like it's perfect for you i mean yeah. that's the thing i'll give you i mean I, I will like i'll give you immense credit because you know we've been doing this show for a long time we've we've been comic nerds for a long time know lots fortunate to know lots of people in the business and you know i think that um for for many and not saying for all but for many there's this um i don't want to say conceit or trade-off but but you know, if if your goal or for many's goal is to make it to the big two, you know, to, to become like a full time working comic book creator. Sure. And we've known lots of creators, and I'm not gonna put anybody on blast, but like that were super into indie stuff, their own stuff, but it wasn't either paying the bills or um, 
you know, what have you. And, and so they, they get an opportunity to go to Marvel or DC. And basically, they they just take what they can get, right? And, and I don't mean that pejoratively. I just mean, like, there's only so many entryways to these places. And they're like, hey, you want to you wanna write a, you know, gentleman ghost story? Yeah, hell yeah, let's do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, there's something about you, like, people that know you personally, ourselves included, like, you're very unassuming and, like, almost like all shucks. But yet, when I, when I, the business guy in me, like, I watch the way you've handled your career, and it's, like, pretty, it's, it's pretty impressively, like, aggressive, meaning, like, you just have an innate confidence where, you know, you, you, like you said, you, you're like, ah, I, it would have, it took Beta Ray Bill to get me to come to Marvel. Like, that's unheard of. Like, CB, <laughs> CB rolled up to your, your, your booth and said, come Mark Marvel. You're like, okay, yeah, like, if you let me do this character. And, like, DC's like, Jim Lee rolls up to you and is like, uh, you want to work for us? And you're like, <laughs> maybe, like, if I can tell a Wonder Woman story where she turns into a monster. And, and, like, I mean, we're laughing about it, but honestly, there are a ton of creators who just wouldn't, like, if 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 CB or Jim showed up at their at their at their table, they'd say yes to whatever, just because they view that as just the opportunity is saying yes, and then hope at some point they can do what they want. So, I mean, have you given any thought to that, or is it just like embedded in your personality, where you're like, hey, it is what it is. If if I don't if I don't work there, I don't work there. I think it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure I've talked to you guys about this before, but I remember like. My first few shows, and this is back in like 2012, 2013, I was seeing the art. I was seeing artists in Artist Alley that were very popular in the 80s and 90s that I loved, you know. But have you know? They, it's not like they're not loved and appreciated anymore. But like their um, their style or their mark making is like not as in vogue. If that makes sense, it's like. Um, it's just like the 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 styles and the way that lines are made, the way that comics are made, just is ever forward. It's like the entertainment industry, um, and I I didn't really want to be subject to the kind of shifting zeitgeist culture waves of the entertainment industry. I mean, I'm always we're always going to be as creators, you know, because we're certain ages and we have certain influences and so on, but. I felt like I was seeing other creators that maybe if, if they weren't, you know, not necessarily rolling in the dough, maybe say like somebody who's like at an a, on an A-list book at a big two company might be for like three to four years. I kind of wanted to, the goal was to kind of have this like very steady rise that's like kind of slow and kind of like long game, if that makes sense. Where I was seeing these, I was seeing guys like um, Scotty Young and um, Stan Sakai and um, Paul Pope and Jeff Smith. These guys that were make they were kind of cra- it sounds so corporate, but like kind of crafting their own brand. And it's like when you hear their name, you immediately think of the style, you immediately think of the stories, you immediately think of the vibes, and you're like, man, I'd love to see this character in like a Stan Sakai style or what what have you, so that you cannot separate the story from the artist. And that singular entity, which still I think is a bit of a, um, I don't know what the word, like a rarity. Um, I feel like that has still has some sex appeal when bringing that to the table at a place like the Big Two, um, and that so that definitely was after I like I started like surveying the industry and just trying to make a five year plan of like, okay, when in like five years the goal is to be able to point to a company and be like. Email them and say, I want to be able to help you guys out and work for you and make something that I think could be special. 
but I want to choose what it is, and I want you to say yes, <laughs> which is a big goal. But um, I, I knew I, – I remember I was also starting to get – as like a Space Mullet and Extremity started to gain a little bit of popularity, I was getting emails from some pretty big-name writers that I knew that if I started drawing for a writer – that early on, I would be a mostly an artist, you know, and um, so the so I I kept turning down these relatively big gigs with like a list writers because I knew that I wanted to do my own stories and I wanted to have my own thing, and there's just more control over where my career goes if that's the case. So I think it's a pretty it's a pretty calculated move on my part. I think. To be honest, yeah, you gotta, you need to take risks. You gotta be able to take risks, sure. and um, I mean, you're visually, uh, you you take a ton of risks. But when, when you have a style as rock solid as yours, uh, you, you really don't need a safety net. But in in terms of the business aspect of it, it, it just amazes me that that you're able to to say, uh, mm, yeah, not really. I think I'd like to do something else. Like, wow. Um, you realized, and and you've said it that there are guys that would knife you in the neck for that job, uh, but but you're just like, no, nah, I think you know, I think something better is going to come along. Thank you, but but no, thank you. And that's amazing, like that. Wow, respect. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I I hope it doesn't come off as I know I'm in like a privileged position, and I don't want to take that lightly. But right, no, um, I don't. It doesn't come off as arrogant at all. It's just it's just it, there's an honesty to your 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 visual language and your your as a person. Like I've never once heard you say anything where I didn't uh, take it as gospel. Like you don't seem like the, a, a devious person to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I would put it the other way, then, uh, which is that it's it's actually, I think, too many great creators don't have the self confidence. Um, like, so it's not like you being full of yourself. It's it's you or like, and you know, Scotty's in a similar boat. He's a good friend of ours. You know, you guys are are confident in your talent and 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 getting compensated for it or, or respected for it. And I I think in most businesses that's the way the world works, but. Maybe and I can't speak for other creative businesses. Maybe Vince could better, I, but but I, I I suspect that when it comes to creative or artistic commercial endeavors, like there's just for a lot of creators, there's like an innate lack of confidence, or maybe because of the the freelance nature of most of the jobs, like you know just the what if what if I can't pay the rent, and so they just they they don't have the the. Uh, they don't have the 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 wherewithal to just to just stick up for themselves, and 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 I think much to their detriment over time, right? It's 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 and it's easy to fall into the trap, right? Like it's easy to say yes, like you said. If if I don't know, I'm just I'm picking someone, but like if you know if Jeff Lemire had called you up and said, "Dude, I love you. Like let's just become a team. You know, let's let's become Wade and Somni. Like let's just do that. Yeah, right. Like like no one would have blamed you if you'd said yes to that because that would have meant being on good, really well selling books forever, right? Like or, or yeah. You know, or like Brubaker Phillips, and again, I'm not besmirching like Sean Phillips because I don't know that he's ever had any interest in writing. But like, you know, if you could have had that kind of collaborative partnership, I guess the thing I, w- I would ask you is, um, at this point, can you envision a scenario um, where you would draw for another writer, or is that something you just see as is as, as a just not not likely to ever happen again? To be totally honest, I don't see it happening. Um, you know, I, I that being said. If um, I, for some reason, can't get a job where I'm doing both, 
hundred percent. I'm going to do what it takes <laughs> to put food on the table. Um, but as of right now, you know, it just seems like, and it's almost like I used to get offer. I, I used to get asked this a lot by writers and, and publishers. They would email me and be like, Hey, we have this thing. We'd really love for you to draw it. Uh, and here's the writer. And now I just don't get asked anymore. Um, cause I've turned down, it turned it down cause I'm doing other gigs that I'm writing and drawing. Now all the now all the emails and all the the work that I'm being asked to do is to write and draw something. Um, so it's it's almost like um, it's almost like not an option anymore. Um, I think maybe I would love to do like really small things, maybe like a little one shot or you know something fun. But um, you know. Yeah, like something you see like Declan do every now and then, or or, yeah. or Lebeer does it like with Matt writing it something. I see what you're saying, like just for fun, like a little every now and then. But right, yeah, and it does, you know, drawing for somebody else's brain, uh, it does stretch a different like set of muscles for sure. Like where uh, I'm forced to like kind of reexamine the way that I tell a story in a certain way, um, which I appreciate. Uh, but at the same time, just for this, just for the strength of and um uh safety net what's the word the steadiness of a career just being able to rely on myself for both jobs is um it's it's a big plus i think you're in a pretty enviable position should anything uh dry up at marvel and dc i'm not saying it it, it will but uh, you just throw a bunch of giant monsters in a, in a, in a book, <laughs> take, take it to image. And it's like, okay, there you go. Top seller. Like just because your, your style is so big and, and, and bombastic that you could, you could uh, honestly take a, a 50 issue run about just a, a, you know, a monster attack team. Just these guys that go out and fight giant monsters. Boom. Done. There you go. Who's not going to buy that. That's the thing that killed. Right. <laughs> Oh man! Wait till you hear about my next creator-owned project. <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> you don't tease like that. <laughs> oh, my next creator-owned project is definitely going to be a pro wrestling book. Oh really? You're not. Oh kidding. nice. Okay. I know. Hey, okay. Well, I guess that's fine. <laughs> well, is oh, it going to be I'm like there. like regular human pro wrestling, or is it going to be guy guy drew pro wrestling? No, no, it it will be, it'll be uh, more or less human versus human, but not. It won't be like watching pro wrestling on TV. Mo- way more. I mean, I love watching pro wrestling on TV, but like way more comic booky than that. I think there was a very strong pro wrestling vibe from Dead Earth. I, you wouldn't be wrong. Uh, she definitely uses some wrestling moves in issue one. Yeah. And uh, actually, speaking of pro, pro wrestling moves, uh, Beta Ray Bill definitely does an Okada-style short clothesline Rainmaker. Wow. Uh, a bad guy in a bar in issue two of Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, what, what can uh, I say? Before we, uh, since we're off on this tangent, Dap and I are known to dabble in the pro graps a bit as well. Vince, it's like saltpeter to him, but... Uh, how, how have you felt about the pandemic uh, uh, wrestling scene? It's been different. It has been different. You know, what was really interesting is um, the first, because it was like maybe Monday or I don't know, whenever the NBA shut down. But as soon as the NBA shut down, that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, boy, we're in for it. And then the next week on AEW, which is the main show that I watched. Um, Same. It, 
there were no fans in the stands and they came right out and they addressed it. You know, they were like, this is going to be so weird. We're not used to this, but we're going to do it anyway. Let's, let's make it happen. Um, and then the WWE was just like carrying on as if nothing ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Dude, not only that, they, they remember they got their governor cause Vince is tight with them to, to yeah. say that for wrestling was excluded from, yep. <laughs> from the, from the quarantine and, and, uh, for a couple <laughs> weeks. And then finally, like they got such pushback, they, they changed it. But, but, uh, cause remember there was actually a debate, um, for whether they were going to have WrestleMania, like Vince wanted to have WrestleMania with people like up until yeah, when like that. literally the entire world was closed down and, and everyone's like, dude, you can't have fans in the stadium. And he's, and finally, you know, they were like, we're not going to have WrestleMania. <laughs> yep, I remember that. And yeah. I saw, it's really interesting to see the different attitudes of the different companies doing their different things. And then also I'm a huge new Japan fan and yes. having them just shut down completely. Like, no, like boom, done. Lights off for like three months, three and a half months, and when they did come back, no fan. The fans aren't allowed to make noise. They can only yeah. Clap. The top crowds are tough to me. I, I, I like. I don't know if you, I, I. I think it hurts the vibe personally. I like and and I guess it, it's just it's so funny. I think we'll look back on the pandemic years from now. Sociologists will write studies about it. It's really fascinating to look at each country and the way they handled it, and it's so endemic of personality. Like, like when the when when this all started to happen, and in my day job, we had to talk about like what it meant. I remember saying to my partners, like, "Listen, the U.S. is going to be fucked over this because it's just inherently American <laughs> to be rebellious and to not want to listen to rules. Like, it's yes. just in our nature because there's no other than like breaking major laws. There's no consequence to like you're rewarded for being a maverick." And I'm like, it's just people are going to say it's it's an inalienable right, like to not wear masks and not go out in public. And sure enough, that's what happened. But Japan culturally is so different. Again, I'm not when I it, when you're making a generalization about an entire country, of course you're, you're like there there are exceptions. But like in Japan culturally, they're rule followers. They're okay with putting the greater good of family and 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 city and country over themselves. And so even now, you know, you have these like five star matches. <laughs> like these 30 yeah, yep. epic matches and they don't feel it because of the fans obey the clap. They don't, they just politely clap and they don't, they're not allowed to yell. And uh, I, I personally think it's really hurt the vibe of, of some of the matches. And I very much look forward to them all getting vaccinated so we can get back to having great crowds. I am complete. I completely agree. I think the vibe has uh, it's, it's, I feel like it's really hurt the Japanese uh, kind of matches. I do love, though, and I remember I actually got emotional when I heard this, when crowds first came back and they had their first big show. I think maybe it was, like, Naito versus Tanahashi, and, like, Tanahashi almost never does the high-fly flow anymore because it's so bad on his knees. He's getting older. He did a high-fly flow on Naito on the, that was on the ground, so he jumped outside of the ring near the cage, you know. And when he's in the air, you know, nobody's... No, everybody's clapping, nobody's screaming, you know, in the crowds. But when he's in the air, you just hear a little oh, <laughs> like a collective whisper. Yeah. Like people can't help themselves. Like they slip. You know? yeah, they slip the collective yeah. slip, and it yeah. happens. Like when you have like a big moment, like when somebody's about to get tapped out. You know, when a baby face is is like, can the will the baby face kick out? And like the crowd, you can tell they're so good at their jobs that the Japanese crowd is like on the edge of their seats and someone will kick out and you can hear the whisper. Oh, it's yeah. like this 
It's just the most beautiful freaking sound in the whole place. Wow. Can you do me a favor? Can you make that sound one more time? Because I would love – no, I'm not kidding. I would love to use it as the transition sound when we go from like uh, us talking into an interview just to go, oh. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. And go. <laughs> That's amazing. There you go. But, yeah, so um, I agree. It's uh, it's it's been a tough go, and um, but that's kind of one of the one thing I love about AEW is you know it is in America, so for good or for ill, uh, you know those people and those those few people in those crowds are going to make noise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, I I think AEW's handled the best, you know, in a tough situation for me of the of the for three sure. majors. Yeah. Um, Agreed. I'm not, you know, we dapping up. We've been having on our Slack group. We have some wrestling fans, and we've been, we definitely are of mixed mind as to some of the recent AEW goings on, like, you know, the Paul White, the Christian, and it's it, you know, it, it's it's like Tony promised us he was going to be anti WWE, and it's it's hard to feel anti WWE when you got Sting and Christian and, yep. and the Big Show out there, kind of like. You know, take in and and Rusev taking up you know taking up airtime, but but uh, but overall, it's still far and away the most entertaining weekly wrestling show I've seen in years. So I have to ask really quick. I know we're on this tangent, but I just need to stay on this tangent just for a second. Yeah. Cool. Did you watch Revolution? No, I didn't. I I I was like, you know, it's just like I was like fifty bucks. I don't know. And I thought to myself, if I spend the fifty bucks, I'm going to be really upset if the special signing is like Christian or Kurt Angle or someone like that. Like I'm going to be like mad that I spent the money. So I like, <laughs> let me see who it is. And if it's, if it's awesome in a bunch of four or five star matches, then I can always get it. And, uh, and I'm for, so for me, I'm glad I didn't. Cause like, obviously I, I read the results and I sure, but no, I, I didn't get it. Did you? I did. I get them all. In oh, fact, I've actually built nice. into our family budget, uh, uh, <laughs> <a> quarterly <laughs> AEW pay-per-view. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> Aren't they usually on Saturday nights? They're usually on Saturday nights. This one was on Sunday. Yeah, but I definitely, I definitely got it, and you know, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought the last match was great, and except for that stupid explosion, which was not. Um, but what are you gonna do? I mean, <laughs> they killed themselves, and I appreciate it. I for, for me, AEW is the closest that uh, that I get from the old um, Saturday evening. WCW on on TBS uh, back in the day when when it was Tony Schiavone and, and Davy Crockett in the studio announcing the matches. I just I get that especially with Tony announcing. I just get that feel. I really do. Um, and the workers that are in there. I mean, the women are fantastic and they're great to look at. But I mean, they actually put in the work. They're 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 great to watch and mm-hmm. and I really. Um, I just I there are there are moments where you know like yes Matt Hardy's getting a little old he's definitely busted he can't yeah. you know he'll he'll go into the ring and 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 he'll he'll stand on the ropes and he'll it, it looks like he's straining just to put his arm in the air to, 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 <laughs> and it, and it, and that but the, and then there's some matches and I and I I really I really do like FTR and I mean I've always liked them because they they remind me of Tully and Arn from back in the day and and there's um and and there are times where I'll watch it. And and they'll they'll take it easy. They'll slow down before they get into the turnbuckle, and it's and and so so they're they're more putting on the show. Like no one's really trying to 
hurt the other dude. Like they, they'll save that, and that's fine. I, I don't want anybody to get hurt. But but there are times where you know they're running into ropes or they're running into each other, and um, there's a slight you know sidestep just because you know they don't want to do the full impact, and that's it, it. That it's noticeable, but it definitely doesn't uh, take me out of it. It doesn't detract from from the story they're telling. But I mean, but. Uh, and, and Alex Kingston, who does not have the body to be a wrestler, but I do so enjoy watching him just just shoot his mouth off and get himself into trouble. I really, there isn't anybody, there isn't anybody on the roster who, when they really, when 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 they're announced or they come to the ring, I roll my eyes or I look at the clock or I want to think about fast forwarding the match. I really do just sit back and 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 enjoy what what they're doing. I'm, I'm happy they're around. I haven't, I haven't seen a live WWE broadcast in since before the pandemic. I, it, I, I, they lost me a while ago and they haven't done it. And, and my friend is still, I read the observer. My friend still watches it. He gets to be, he's still on, he still subscribes to the network, but they haven't done anything that, that that's made me interested to say, you know, well, what have I been missing? I, I really, it, it, I'm just glad. AEW is there because it 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 just it it fills a void that I didn't really know it was there, but but it is, and and I'm glad I have that. It's so fascinating because I got into wrestling in 2018 when my daughter was born, and I had been wanting to check out New Japan because I loved the look of Tetsuya Naito, because uh, like there's all these comic book artists that were into it and drawing him and stuff. So I decided to pull the plug on uh, to pull the trigger on it. Uh, during the G1 in 2018, I got hooked, and I like was watching it a ton and going back into the archives. I was like, this is really cool, but it's all in Japanese. I'll see what what's this WWE like? And I was like, oh, what is this? I do not like this. No, do not want, yeah. Because I, I wasn't allowed to watch it growing up, you know, so I missed out on those, like, you know, the Attitude Era and that whole deal. So then when AEW got started, by with a bunch of my favorite guys coming from Japan, I was a hundred percent on board and I've been learning about the history of American wrestling like backwards because AEW will touch on these famous moments of wrestling history that I just have no idea about. You know, I'm completely uncultured about it. So I've been kind of going back and educating myself. I read, um, the, uh, the dark side of the ring. Um, and uh, sorry, I didn't read the dark. Um, uh, the squared circle. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. I read the yeah nonfiction book, the squared circle. I've been watching the dark side of the ring. Yes, like the Vice yep, show. Yep, yep. I don't remember what the title, but Aubrey Sitterson wrote this awesome like history of pro wrestling book that I think is fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've kind of been drinking it all up and getting ready for my next book. <laughs> nice. Sweet. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, speaking about <laughs> your current book, of course. Why, tell them why they should buy this because I don't want to try and encapsulate it because I may give too much away. So if, if okay. you set the parameters yourself, then I don't have to worry about anything. You got it. So it's a book where Beta Ray Bill has found himself finally understanding just truly out of place he really is in a place like Asgard um, after the events of uh, Thor where uh, Thor has broken Stormbreaker, Bill's hammer, he finds himself at a loss with his own sense of self and his own sense of destiny, and he basically has decided that it's time for him to strike out on his own and find that. Um, so that can, that looks like a few different things, but uh, 
it's basically Bill trying to find himself again apart from Asgard and um I it's oh it's a, it's kind of like a sci-fi romp with uh uh gosh I'm not doing a very good job of selling this. No, you it are. It was really fun to draw, guys. <laughs> yeah. What what I wanted to get into was we've seen it in Extremity. We really saw it in Murder Falcon. But you, aside from the giant planet-crushing scenes that you tend to do, you are also capable of doing these intensely emotional uh, human scenes. Like in this Beta Ray Bill number one, we got Fin Fang Foom crushing the place, giant action, and then you have this scene, a very touching scene, uh, and it was, it was emotionally crushing, where uh, Sif and Beta Ray Bill are starting, you know, they're getting a little romantic, they're getting a little <laughs> touchy-feely, and and she, there's definite feeling between both of them, and they go to... Um, they go out outside of prying eyes, and he's like, "Well, wait a minute, um, I can't." And he and he, I mean, it's it's built into the story why he can't, and then he leaves, and she's just like, "Wah," and he's "Aw," and I'm like, "Wait a minute, do I really? Am I feeling for this horse faced cosmic <laughs> cosmic character? Like, why is this touching me?" I, I can't explain it, but it just amazes me that you are capable of crushing a building and leading us through that kind of uh, adrenaline rush, and then you pull it back into the yeah. But this is what it really ma- this is what really matters to this story. Like that stuff is great, but this is the real fuel that that powers this engine, and and I just think that's very difficult to do, and you pull it off. I mean, there were scenes in Murder Falcon where I was like, God, why? Why are you crushing me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that you brought that up. And it kind of goes back to, you know, Jason's question where asking kind of like, why Beta Ray Bill? But just like I saw a lot of like possibility in Wonder Woman. As soon as I saw Beta Ray Bill and you kind of hear his story and you hear the way he talks about himself in uh Walt's like scripts of when he first shows up there's kind of this just aching kind of kind of sadness about the character which I think Walt touched on a fair amount uh but I just saw a lot of possibility there um I saw like a lot of uh I don't know just a a a story where Bill really actually has to like he has room to wrestle with his own self in that way which you know, I don't know if that's if a Marvel comic is the place to do that, but uh, I feel like Beta Ray Bill's if 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 it's going to be the closest thing I can get to examining that. So that's what you right. get in the story, and, it, and well, it's amazing. And I love the fact that you said I don't. You know, I'm not sure that a Marvel comic is the best place for this. That's perfect. That's the way you should be. Like all people working at Marvel and DC should be thinking, well, this isn't the best place for this, but let's make it the best place for this. Right on. Right. Let's let's change the way we do it. The uh, all I got from that scene, is, I I didn't. For me, it didn't put uh, Sif in 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 any favorable light. Mm. Okay. I, it, I didn't. I just only. Be, well, I, no, we're not going to spoil anything. But it, it's just 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 her reaction to the situation. Um, 
her expectation and then when that obviously couldn't come to pass and and you know he's upfront about it and and you know i feel for the dude i absolutely you know i i i it i get it um but uh and 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 he he as vince said removed himself from the situation so you know we don't know once he walked through that door what could have happened but um yeah it was just it was it was her initial reaction to to the news um I was like, really? That's okay. I mean, that's that's. I, I I'm not saying she's shallow. It was just it didn't. Um, I didn't get a lot of sympathy from her. I feel like, well, this is one thing that we went back with in Marvel editorial was how to make sure to make Sif not come off like a total butthead. Yes. Um, it was a challenge, and you know, I think it basically came down to, you know, everybody's got preferences. <laughs> this is true. See, I took it like because he's so massive. Like maybe, maybe like physically, it would be a problem. He <laughs> does look like a horse. So is that not? is that ever a problem though? <laughs> well, I, I I say that with tongue in cheek because she's obviously been in quite a few other Asgardians, Thor included. So, but I mean, maybe down below when he's in his Beta Ray Bill form, it's like. Destructive, man. You don't know this is CWJ. Maybe there's a cannon. <laughs> Maybe it has belt. barbs on it or something. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> the fact that Marvel allowed me to go with this storyline is actually pretty awesome. That's the other thing, dude. You convinced them to let you to let you turn Cheetah into a, like a kaiju with with like like a you know a cat arm and in a DC, and then you convinced Marvel to let you have pillow talk with Sif like that's uh I don't know man like you're a smooth talker my friend that's all I know it's more along the lines of uh this is what I'm gonna do and I don't have any other ideas so uh when's this due <laughs> yeah and then when it came to like making Cheetah I basically didn't even tell them I just drew her on a page and then right. I turned in all the pages at once <laughs> it was going to print like two weeks that's kind of the way to do it right <laughs> yeah Exactly. Hey, when you're, you're when you're doing a book, I mean, are you like how long is it since you since you write, draw the whole shebang? I mean, you do everything with the book. What like is it? How long does it take you to do a, an issue? Um, it takes me maybe a few days to write a script. Um, with and because it's so, my you should see my scripts. They're basically a few sentences for each page. You know, Beta Ray Bill walks into the bedroom. And Sif starts taking off his clothes, and then just all the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And then I basically just map out that whole page. Um, and there's a nice little, you know, preview for your, you know, your listeners what they could expect yeah. when Beta Ray Village One comes out. But like, it's very much a visual process for me. But the thing that is always cemented is the dialogue. So I do wrestle with that a lot, and that's most of the work that's going into the script. And then. Page a day, five days a week. Um, so I, it takes about anywhere from for a twenty-page issue, four to six weeks to do. Mm-hmm. And then obviously with Wonder Woman, those big issues took much longer. But um, I usually ask for six weeks because I'm always doing commissions and covers and yeah, and then also writing. You know, fitting, fitting it's weird for me to be uh, writing as well uh, in the middle of deadlines and finishing stuff. So. But it speaks to, I mean, there's got to be a, a, a gain in, in the sense of uh, expediency because you don't have to translate 
for uh, or take translations from a writer or you don't have to communicate what you want to do to an artist. Like you're a one man band, right? If it's you, true. You know, if you want to change the type signature going through, you do it and you don't yep. have to explain, you know, okay, we're, we're nine, eight now we, you know, <laughs> which is, is, is so appropriate. You don't need to, to, there's no speed bumps. Bam. You're just the one guy doing it. And I think it, it's a more, and we've gone into this kind of discussion uh, many times over the years, um, the the writer artist uh, individual, uh, Frank Miller's and the you know uh, the, the the John Burns and and I think that's a, a truer representation of of uh, that creative individual, right? We've seen John Byrne work with other people, and we've seen John Byrne work on his own stuff. And whether you like John Byrne on his own is that's irrelevant. But what I'm saying is the the, the closest we'll ever get to John Byrne is Next Men, right? Because he was doing the whole mm. thing himself. Right. Um, but the guy on Uncanny was amazing. It's just two different sides of, of uh, that same individual. But the, for me, the, the truest representation is that Next Men guy, warts and mm. all, you know? And I think also something that sometimes it's hard to relay, like the emotional or visual beats that, you know, uh, a writer might want an artist to kind of stop and like highlight like hey this is a moment we have to crank the volume up to 11 here right um i'm thinking of moments like the first time you see scuttlebutt in the issue where Ooh. you know she's flying over the embattlements of uh, asgard um or bill walking out and addressing his ship you know right before he leaves asgard you know all these uh moments that like i'm really le- i i have these as i'm writing the script i just know in my head it's like, oh, here's some breathing space, or here's this really intense mo- emotional moment, or a really awkward moment. Um, and how do you frame that? You'll notice, like in uh, when there's that uh, different, like, when there's that awkwardness between him, him and Sif. There's a the camera is like is a down angle. Uh, it's like it's kind of like a like a wide angle pull out lens, like in like a horror movie, mm-hmm. you know. Where you know, like you can just feel everything falling apart. Um, whereas if I was ever writing a script for a, another uh, artist, I, I would not. I would say this is a really awkward moment, so just draw this however you see fit. You know, I I wouldn't art direct like that. But in my own head, it's just so clear, like exactly how I need to do it. And so it's just a like you said, it's just kind of uh, me running from my brain to the page as uh, as quickly and as possible. Nice. F- right, FYI, I'm pulling that mural too. So you're going to be all over <laughs> the place. You know, you you know what I mean, right? Like when yeah. you're seeing like Black Mirror when like things are not right or like that sinking feeling in your chest and you know like yeah, and right. you, you hear the uh, like violin. <laughs> yep. Where the the foreground stays static, but the background does that deep dive. Yeah. Just, there you go. Yeah, I get it. Get it. Um, and what I want to know, the most important thing I want to know is. Uh, when you were negotiating with Marvel, you know, doing this series, did you you made sure to tell them that my buddy Vince wants the prestige format premiere hardcover when it's eventually collected, so that's got to be built into the contract, right? Did you, did you make sure that it's coming out in hardcover? I wish. I, when you say prestige format, do you mean like with what they did with Silver Surfer Black? 
the the no, premiere treasury edition. Right, no, the premiere hardcover with the, the, hardcover. the oversized hardcover. It's like a little bit taller than the the other regular hardcovers, like that with the gold band on the corner. You know how they used to do? I think they yeah. call it you know prestige premiere format hardcover. Do they do that now with books coming out now? Well, they should. They're going to do it with <laughs> this, right? I hope so. I mean, that sounds awesome. I've never, I've never sold enough books to have any sort of heart worthy of any sort of hardcover. Well, thing, the, so. the, well, the black label did you a, a big solid with Dead Earth because that hardcover is amazing. Yeah, it is. It didn't it come out so good? Yeah, it looks awesome, I, and it's one of those things where okay, you can keep the dust jacket on, but if you take it off, it gets even better. Yeah. But, yep. Yep. I also love how there's a nice uh, big like black inset uh, when you open like mm-hmm. when you first open it's like opposite of the sleeve. Um, it's perfect to draw Wonder Woman like with a whiteout pen. Uh, <laughs> it's just great for like oh, little nice. sketches and stuff. Yeah, good call. Yeah, uh, th- I-, I hope the black label line continues because um, they've done really great work with that. Um, not only your book but the the question book looks amazing the stuff yep. that they put out for the the hill house like straight across the board all the collections they did are just awesome it's funny too because when uh the book was uh rated mature when the first issue was rated mature and i was pretty careful to like try and not put any like human on human violence in there or any like nudity um so i guess they were trying to cater to a specific audience but uh I don't know that the, the as editorial at DC has changed and the cultures have shifted again. You know, um, I'm not sure what it will end up being, but I had a great time while I was there. Yeah, we did, we had a great time reading it too. It's awesome. Yeah, most definitely. So, since you are, like you said, you're, you can't envision at least at least in the near term drawing for another writer. You know, I think about, like you said, you and, and I think about people like, like Jeff or Matt Kint or Scotty, who um, probably were first known as writer-artists, and then they made, I think, a logical transition to being writers who also draw, like, a book for themselves, but they're writing, you know, three, four, or five books at a time. Um, and there's there's logistical reasons for that, right? Like, you can actually write four or five books over a month or two-month schedule. It's You can't draw four or five books do, right do you do you envision or are you thinking strongly about um starting to and you know undertake writing for other artists while you also draw and write your own stuff yeah, i've thought about it a lot i almost wrote superman when they were like relaunching all their titles but we couldn't figure out money with dc so i had to step out um i really wanted to write superman uh but it's just like things I got this um I I was basically talking with DC editorial. I was like, "Are you okay with my scripts being as loose as they are?" And they were like, "Yeah, that's that's totally fine." So, if I was allowed to write scripts the way that I write for myself, I, you know, I think it would be a real possibility. Um but at the same time, I have a bit of a um I have a bit of a worry that I would kind of uh, stretch myself too thin, if uh, that makes sense. I'm really bad at splitting my brain into uh, different projects at the same time. Um, I don't know how writers do it, honestly. Says like the I, guy who loves wrestling, building models, playing the guitar, 
uh, what drawing comics. You, you certainly are, but no, I get what you're saying. It's yeah, it, well, and but and it's true. I do love all those things, but most of the well, it, when you're I'm making comics and like making storylines. I mean, you guys kind of know the stories that I write. It's like it's very important to me. Like Vince said, that there's a moment where you can really pull back and you can really settle into what the characters are feeling, thinking, saying, and doing in a way that hopefully resonates with the reader. Um, and I'm not going to say that it like takes a lot out of me or anything, but the my I, I sometimes I get a little self conscious when I hang out with other writers. They have so many ideas. And I uh, I don't have that many ideas, <laughs> you know. Um, I have like characters that I think would be really fun to draw, like Spider Man, like Batman, or whatever. But I'm like, I don't have any cool ideas about for any of this stuff. Um, so when I do have an idea for a new story, I like kind of grab it and I hold it really close and I kind of wait for it to kind of manifest itself into something that I think is worthwhile in telling. And um, so especially when it comes to creator on stuff, you know, it's so hard to make myself that I would probably just keep that for me. I could see myself doing like big two stuff and writing for big two stuff and I hesitate to say this out loud, but I should just probably just be honest. I'd really worry that I just start making stuff just to make stuff and not really be able to put the emotional investment that like characters really require and that I would just start going on autopilot. So and and if that happens then the this brand that I've built up to try and like when every time that one of my books comes out, I really want it to be a special big event, no matter what it is. Uh, pro wrestling comic, baseball comic, sci-fi comic. It's like Daniel Warren Johnson's doing a new book. His name is on it, and it's going to be an event. I'm not sure if that would still happen after doing, after writing for a ton of books for three years or whatever. Um, part of that, like, it's part of that goal of like the slow climb i don't want to peak too soon <laughs> i'm so glad you said that because um having known you for the all these years and and experiencing your work it seems to me that you become consumed creatively when, when you when you're doing a book uh yeah you do like to golf and play the guitar and all that other stuff but when you are focusing your your creative chi into this project like that's all you you really want that's all you really need. You're just you're doing it on a level that, uh, like I said, you're consumed. It just envelops everything. I don't think you'd be able to just if you do. We're doing a book for you, um, and then oh, I got to turn a Superman script in. Like it's hard to to shift that gear into you know the, that other project and be right. true to the thing that you were uh, consumed completely enamored with. Uh, I I totally get it. Yep, and that's exactly what it is. I, I I was trying to come up with cool ideas for Beta Ray Bill as I was, was finishing Wonder Woman, and I would just stress myself out. <laughs> I'd go up to Rachel, my wife, like after my work day, and be like, "I don't have any ideas for Beta Ray Bill. I don't know what I'm going to do." And Rachel's like, "What are you do? What are you working on Beta Ray Bill for? You're still working on Wonder Woman." I'm like, "I need to provide. I need to fix it. I need to figure this out." <laughs> And Rachel's like, you got to chill out. Just focus on what you need to focus on. And it takes some time after it's over to work on the next thing. So thank uh, God for my wife. Yeah, I was just going to say, you're lucky you have a partner that will allow you that, that, that leeway. Yeah, that, that's she's great. amazing. Yeah. So awesome. Do, amongst all of your other hobbies, interests, and family, do, do you we, – we were recently had another guest on. We were talking about how it seems like there's a – 
a house divided among comic creators. There are those who, once you become a steadily working professional, either uh, have neither the time nor the interest in reading lots of other comics, and then there are those who are such old head comic nerds that they they can't fathom ever stopping. So where do you fall on that spectrum? I've found that I am going back in time more than I am reading present day. So I still read comics, but it's kind of the stuff that I have been wanting to read for a long time, but I've never taken the time to read. Um, The things that I keep up to date with mostly are um, some manga titles. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Ping Pong by Matsumoto. Um, I'm really enjoying that. Volume 2 just came out. and um, But I've also been uh, reading a lot of old Darwin Cook stuff um, as like a writer-artist extraordinaire. He's a huge inspiration, so I was reading uh, the Parker series. I, I'm two books in, and uh, I'm just completely blown away. I'm actually envious that, that you're experiencing them like for the first time. I wish I could yeah, go back and seriously. do that. I can't believe how good they are. It's kind of scary. Um <laughs> It's like he's so good at his craft that it kind of, it's just you're like oh my I have so much more work to do, and not in a technical way because you know his drawing he's very obviously he's a great artist but the information and the way he's drawing is not necessarily done in a way that's you know time intensive I'm sure it it was but um you know he's he's providing a perfect like way to read a book and read a comic and read a story it's just it's all there and it's just fun to read and it's so good and uh i need to work harder to be like that because uh you know and it is a little bit like apples and oranges too when i read this stuff which is kind of why i like to uh read stuff because i will never draw like darwin cook i don't want to i wouldn't be fun for me to make comics if i did but to see how well that is done i can kind of take that and just kind of channel that energy into my own work but um so i will say i do still read comics but i am very bad at keeping up to date with the new stuff if that makes sense no i I think that's cool as long as you're still reading um that's you know we say all the time we have like we have enough we each of us have enough comics in our homes that if we never bought another comic we could basically read for the rest of our lives like that's (laughs) You know, yeah, it's, you laugh. It's, it's the truth. No, it's true though. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're not exaggerating. I, I've calculated. I, mean, I have at least twenty years of comics, based on like my current pace of reading and stuff I haven't read that I own. It's, 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 it's this. It's a situation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, One thing I'm keeping up with. I'm reading all the Batman Black and White stuff. I'm really uh-huh. into that. Um, and uh, gosh, I haven't bought a ton of comics. I get the, all the Thor and King and Black stuff for free. Uh. I get the PDFs, which is really cool. <laughs> um, I get to read it before anybody else. Uh, so I'm still kind of nerd out about that stuff. Like, I get to read all these for free? <laughs> <laughs> Membership has its privileges, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, nothing feels cooler than emailing my editor be like, Hey, Will, can you send me the newest issue of Thor? i got to make sure I'm up to snuff on all this stuff. Wink, wink. <laughs> Yeah, that's impressive. Marvel's hella tight with their comps, man. We know. <laughs> oh, well, I just get a PDF. One thing yeah. I've been noticing, and I have to put both the big two on blast here, uh, when I get my comps, they're almost always bent, or there's al- almost always ripped. Ooh. So I, I, 
I remember I did like a little Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight's death metal, like the mini, like the little mini stories about the different death metal Dark Knight guys, mm-hmm. and uh, I got some variants that were worth a pretty penny. And I was going to sell them, and then I like looked at them, and there's like a bend on the corner, and I'm like, "Oh man, DC, you're killing me here!" It's like these are, almost, now, these are now useless, right? It's almost like they have a bin where they put the blems in, and they're like, "Ah, give those to our people, who, you know, give them to the people who work for us." Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there you go. There's my complaint of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know that. Um, you know, like, I don't think that we can, you've mentioned doing, working on commissions a couple times now, so um, I think that uh, the current state of the like original art market is fascinating. One, because uh, I'm intimately involved in it personally, but <laughs> but but two, like, I, I, you know, I think, and this isn't just like, I think there's a lot of collectors out there that are kind of jaws on the floor at how much appreciation and value there's been in whatever but like whatever you collect you're seeing it but like people don't realize that it's everything right like so it's like we're like oh my god comic art's so expensive now or back issues are so expensive but it's it's really like all collectibles you know fine art trading cards are back like like a a trading card just sold for six million dollars like like i'm just like there's these and, and so the collectible market is exploding for lots of reasons and i think covid played a huge role in that frankly yeah um but like do you, you know, I feel like, like, let's take Scotty, for example. Like, Scotty does commissions almost, like, by obligation. Like, he doesn't, like, I don't, I never get the sense he loves doing them. Like, he likes doing his daily sketches, which sell instantly. But, like, he's never been someone who, like, really, like, just was, like, balls to the wall, super stoked to have someone be like, dude, this is, I want you to draw this for me. You know, like, it's never been his vibe, right? Which is totally cool. I, I get the sense for you, it's like much different. Like you, you, you know, you give good commission. You know, I, I'm very privileged to have a, a number of your commissions, but, but like your commissions are event or events. When when they come out, they they go all around the internet. The whole scene sees them. Everyone's aghast. You know, as you probably know, my the, the the Moby Dick you did for me is is far and away the most viewed and liked piece I have on calf. Um, oh really? <laughs> oh yeah, by far. Um, That's awesome. But like. Do do you love doing commissions as much as I think you do? I think I do. Um, there are of course different commissions that I'm always gonna like like more. Um, but I kind of I have the best of both worlds because the way it's done, you know, when uh, when things dried up over at Marvel, and I was kind of coming out of Wonder Woman without with like hurtling towards inky blackness as far as income um we opened up my commission list with felix and i took a ton of commissions um and it was like a solid like month of me just drawing uh stuff for other people without worrying about any sort of story and it was very freeing and really fun and uh, i put all i had into it um and every time i do that it's kind of like uh it's kind of like a releasing of control like uh like letting myself just enjoy something through somebody else's eyes and trying to examine the thing that I'm drawing in a way that's like man how is this not done been, how has this not been done before how can I bring something new to the table and how can I enjoy myself while I do all that stuff um 
So it's kind of like I, I try and make it into almost like a challenge for myself. I remember I did a uh, I did a commission of the ring. Like uh, I think her name's Sakata. Whoever the name of the lady who's coming out of the TV at the end of the ring. Um, I did this commission. I couldn't figure out how how to tackle it for the longest time, and I started thinking like, what am I really bad at that I need to get better at? And I've always wanted to get better at fisheye lens perspective. So I was like, I'll just do. I'll try and do fisheye, and I'll try and incorporate the ring commission in that way. So I'm kind of challenging myself as I'm tackling this thing, which I'm a little bit confused how to make. And sure enough, I think it worked out pretty well. Um, and so I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to push myself as much as I can at every moment. And commissions are one of the ways that I do that. I almost kind of treat them like exercises, um, where I'm, I'm I might even be trying like maybe a different kind of style or a different kind of perspective or a different tool. Um, or a different approach, and uh, so, I mean, obviously, I want people to be happy, and I want to be happy with the end result. So if something's not working, I'm going to trash it. But um, I, when I treat it that way, especially, the love for it is, stays kind of fresh, which I appreciate. Um, but yeah, I do love doing them, and man, there's nothing more fun than like it's different, even with like doing covers. I remember hanging out with some comic book guys and they were kind of uh this is riley rossmo and uh uh ryan stegman we were just talking on skype one day and i was showing them a cover design i had done it was for this is for extremity and they were kind of like pointing some things that could be better about it and i was getting kind of frustrated because i couldn't really figure out what i was doing wrong because this is happening a lot when i do covers and Ryan and Riley were like, you're trying to do your covers like you're doing your commissions. You're trying to cram as much shit as you possibly can in your covers when the goal isn't to, like, impress people with, like, the amount of detail. The goal is to, like, make it stand out from five feet away when you're in a comic book store. Um, and so it's, like, a, a different attitude. And then that, that actually kind of that critique helped me kind of form my own attack when it comes to commissions. It's like, okay – Commissions are kind of my excuse for me to cram a lot of stuff in there, and you kind of have to engage it closely to appreciate it. Um, but then at the same time, every commission that I do, I plan it out beforehand so that I, I know that if the the idea and the the concept and the composition works, like as a little drawing about the size of like maybe two inches by one inch, I know it's going to work six inches by uh, twelve inches by nine inches. So right. there's different ways there's different ways I attack it there's different ways I approach it but every single time I usually it's very rare for me to not have fun doing a commission I really love it that was a really long answer sorry no, it was it was perfect oh no I'm I'm gobbling it up over here yeah <laughs> I, I yeah. think the fun comes through absolutely I mean every time Agreed, I see them yeah. I, it's and and the amount of 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 detail I mean they're not wrong I mean it's it's there's no there's no empty spaces. No matter what you're drawing, whether you know it's 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 a little you know Luke and Leia escaping the the stormtroopers, and you have all the detail in in the tube, or or it's it's Spidey swinging through the city. It, it's it, there's no your eye is drawn to something. There is there is no um, it's like and and if anybody's just you'll you'll see some artist you know, with their commission rates and their samples of one, I'd say, oh, it's, it's a full figure. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a stock, like, oh, hot move pose, nothing in the background, maybe some wash, but other than that, you know, this is what you're getting. Um, 
you know, if someone asks you for Batman, it's like, yeah, you're getting Batman, but you're getting him from year one surrounded by Gotham PD and, and you know, the building's about to come down. And it's like, yeah. that's okay. That's cool. I mean, you know, I asked for Batman, but I mean, shit, I have like a full, this, this, most commissions are just, you know, a pinup. Yours actually tells a story. You're getting a story in that image. Thank you. Yeah, that's the goal. Um, and that's what keeps it fun for me. If I was just doing pinups, I, I think I just kind of... It just wouldn't be any fun, and it'd just be a chore. Mm-hmm. And, and would you... This this may be an odd question, because maybe I've never thought of it, but, like, um, you know, I've been on record as saying Felix, your rep, for those that don't know Felix Liu, is, is by far and away the best art rep, like, ever. Like, period. And, and I mean <laughs> that because he has both... He takes, he, he takes care of y'all, treats you professionally... But he also balances that with holding you all accountable to a schedule and reliability and a level of quality that most reps are either uninterested, disinterested, or unable to do. Um, and then, but 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 third, and like the thing really that does kind of set him apart in today is that he has, as you know, singularly singularly reset, or at least been the tip of the spear, resetting the market value for commissions and the market value for modern comic book published art, like both, you know, I mean, and, and I, and I don't have to tell you that cause you're, you're, you're living it. You're, you're, you're a beneficiary of that. Um, <laughs> but like, do you be given your confidence in that you were obviously already a creator before you hooked up with Felix? Do you, um, do you view it all as like one kind of karmic circle of success? Like in other words, do you think, had you not hooked up with Felix when you did, would you be in the same place professionally? Do you think, or have you not ever thought about it that way? Cause like, to me, it's all kind of hand in hand. Like it's, it's all like this beautiful machine that, that kind of creates interest. Like your art creates interest in your pages, which then creates interest broadly. in like you telling more stories, I don't know. It feels like very, very um, symbiotic to me, but I don't know if like you as a, as a creator think of it that way. It's a great question. I I will say Felix came into my like professional life pretty darn early on. He was interested in having me do stuff or uh he was pretty interested in having me um you know join up with him I think before the Ghost Fleet came out. The Ghost Fleet was about to come out uh in 2014 when he really reached out and the reason he reached out is because I bought a page from him uh, in 2014, middle middle of September of 2014, I believe. Um, I bought a, a, a James Heron piece of original art. It was my first original art buy ever, and um, you know my contact info was in my PayPal email. So he reached back out to me. He's like, "You draw comics? Like, I see your website. I see Space Mall. It looks pretty cool." And I was like, yeah, you know, I have this book coming out with Dark Horse later on. He's like, well, do you want to talk on the phone? I'd love to connect. So we talk on the phone, and Felix was like, okay, well, here's my fee, and here's my kind of how I do things and what I'm thinking about. I have a few artists, and, you know, I just, I'd like to have you on if you want. And I was like, man, well, I don't know. And he goes, how much are you charging for commissions at shows? I was like, $30. <laughs> <laughs> he, go, <laughs> he like just laughs in my face he's like even with my fee i can get you more than double the double that and i was like okay that sounds good to me let's do it 
<laughs> so, um, Felix was the one who he was one of the first kind of. He wasn't a big name in the art market then, but he was one of the first guys to kind of recognize, I guess, the possibility of my potential of like being able to make some cool stuff. Um, and Felix, you know, he took. There were ghost fleet pages that were sitting collecting dust, and I do mean collecting dust in my apartment that nobody wanted. And he took them and he sold a ton of them. Didn't sell all of them. There's plenty of Ghost Fleet pages still up on his website. But he sold a bunch. And uh, I was like, well, this is better than nothing. And what I started to realize is that, you know, I have friends that I hang out with. I meet people in comic book stores that are great. I meet comic book shop owners. They're awesome too. But a lot of them either are not interested or don't have the resources to buy, you know, original comic book art. But Felix has like this inline because he was a collector to all these different kind of hubs of people are really into it. And I think Felix really helped expose me, like you said, to a different market that, you know, I know for a fact there are plenty of guys that Felix would be like, call up or email, be like, hey, this kid, Daniel Warren Johnson, he might be going some places. Maybe you should get a commission from him. And these guys are like, sure, why not? <laughs> I do a commission. This is back a while ago, so they weren't necessarily at the level they are now, but they'd get it and they'd be like, this is pretty darn cool. What does this guy do again? And Felix would be like, he has this book called Extremity. Issue 2 just came out, you know. And um, kind of this, gra- I feel like a little bit like a grassroots movement in that way. But I guess I've never thought about it that way. The symbiotic nature, I, I think Felix has changed my life and my career in a way that I, I is you know is insane to me mostly because i would never value my art as highly as he initially did you know i I have a bit of a better notion of it now um but he was taking my he 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 took my value of of what i was assessing myself and he shot it up a ton so i don't know what that means about myself or what that means about felix but i'm very thankful (laughs) Well, you know, Felix is a buddy, and I am both. I both love and hate him <laughs> because, <laughs> um, you know, I I I love that he is, like you said, getting people to finally view comic art as equivalent in all ways to fine art in its its value and its provenance and its longevity and its collectability. Um, but as someone who who buys the stuff, <laughs> it's it's you know it's always a little heartbreaking when I get the subsequent commission price deck and it's, you know, markedly <laughs> higher than the prior round. But, uh, but Hey man, that's all good. Cause you all are good people. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm not in the original art market, uh, but I do get a, a good perspective into it from Jason and, and David. But as far as Felix goes, I think Felix is, uh, from what I've seen, uh, the only art rep that has affected the creative side of of comics where he's so good at what he does and so concerned and offers so many opportunities to you guys uh diverse opportunities and exposure that that leads to opportunities in the creative arena too where you can get on a marvel title because of what felix has done for uh the exposure of your work so i i think felix needs not only a hook because he's a really great art rep but also he's generating opportunities in the creative side of it as well and it's just it's amazing to me that one guy would transcend the business like that 
where, uh, you know, instead of just selling his, basically what he's doing, he's selling your talent. He's not only selling your talent, but he's making um, your talent available to a wider spectrum of of client, some of which are publishing the damn books. So you can you can get those rare opportunities because of what Felix has done. Long-winded. Yeah, sorry, long-winded. No, no, dude, you're totally right. <laughs> and it is kind of a weird happenstance because kind of a coin toss. Like, I didn't know what a good art rep was until I had been with Felix for like two years, if that makes sense. Like, because when I first got started, I was, you know, I was like humble beginnings drawing, you know, sketches of Hellboy for 30 bucks a pop, fully colored. Uh, you know, I didn't know what, I didn't know my ass from my pencil. I, I just trying to make a go of it and so the first guy that basically came i was like he seems like a cool guy i talked to rachel about it she's like sure why not i'm sick of these pages lying around this apartment <laughs> so we went with it and it turned out to be a great choice nice <laughs> have you have you had any instances uh and obviously this is pre-pandemic but when you um have been at a con where now that you are a little more established particularly in the art side that uh You've kind of like tapped someone on the shoulder and been like, my dude, like you're too talented to be charging, you know, 50 bucks. Like, have you had that sort of have you been able to like pay it forward and like help some younger artists understand their value yet? A little bit. You know, I I I try and be really careful when I talk prices or numbers with other artists because it can turn into a weird like dance. And, uh, you know, everyone's doing their best and. Uh, putting their best foot forward, and I, I really only try and give advice when it is explicitly asked of me. <laughs> um, but there have been a few times where I, I've I've told artists that I really uh, admire, and like you know, I would consider friends or or peers, and you know, I'd be like, "Are you really only charging eighty dollars for this? Like, that's insane! That's insane, man!" And uh, you know, they might like, you're like, "Yeah, I know," and I'm like, "No, dude, trust me." People will pay more. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, I do what I can. Um, I, I, I do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> I mostly, all my interns that come in, you know, I try and like, when I have, I, I used to have interns that would come in from the Art Institute of Chicago and some of them would dabble in commissions and stuff. And I'm like, do not post your your prices on the internet. Don't do that. Do not post your prices on the internet. Let people email you and have a conversation then. And so that I, I try and get, get them real early and, and, and get the advice in early on in the process. Good man. Good man. Yeah. I have a yeah. scenario that played out in my head as we were talking about Beta Ray Bill. And um, I want to present it to you. We'll see what you okay. say. All right. So each issue of Beta Ray Bill is coming out, right? You're getting good buzz from the editors. They're like, yeah, it's doing pretty well, right? But issue five comes out. It's it's all done. And they come to you and like, you know what? The numbers on Beta Ray Bill were really good, okay? Uh, we want you to stay at the House of Ideas because you're awesome. And uh, we want more of that Daniel Warren Johnson awesome here. What's it going to take to get you to stay at Marvel? Writing and drawing, whatever you want. With you know, with with exceptions, uh, the the long running books that the big guys are on, they're not going to just pull the rug out from under them and give it to you. But here's the deal: we want anything that'll make you happy, do it. What do you say to them? Anything I want. I have ideas. 
I could tell you what they are, but <laughs> but I'm sure you're going to bounce it back. But I'm thinking Daniel yeah, Warren Johnson me. on the OG Defenders, Hulk, oh. Strange, Surfer, Namor. Come on, you're right? such a Defenders market through ridiculous. I am. It's really, really it's really <laughs> stupid. Uh, or you know, depending on which way the wind blows, and what we've seen has not been super to my liking. But I would love to see you tackle Ultraman for Marvel. Oh man, right. Oh, that'd be so awesome. But, well, I mean, this is not about me. What would you like to do? That's a great question. I am thinking back. I would love to do a Spider-Man story where I don't need to worry about continuity. Um, But I know that's been done so many times, I wouldn't really know how to give it a fresh take, so I probably would just not do that. (laughs) Um, Nobody wants Ultimate Spider-Man a third time. Uh, So, I... I would say, man, oh my gosh, you got me up on a, cor- a corner. Um, okay, <laughs> all right, no, hold on, I can do this. I can yeah. do this. I would want to do a '90s themed X Men book. I think, um, just something short, quick, uh, but just an excuse to be able to kind of harken back to the Jim Lee days and that big ass red Wolverine belt. Um, wow, that's not the answer I would have expected at all. Well, which is I, good well, and and kind of expected, yeah. yeah that you didn't. You I know. guess it's because, like, I, I, you know, at this point, you know, I've worked on my number one character, and I'd be looking for a way to engage with the visual aesthetic that I grew up with. Because um, I didn't really start getting into Beta Ray Bill until after I was out of college. You know, this is like really going back into the Marvel archives. You know, but man, when I was growing up, man, that X Men. Uh, issue like you know it's stapled into my brain wow um so yeah i don't know that sounds good to me yeah well i got another little scenario phone rings phone rings hey guess what (laughs) i love your what ifs these aren't these cool we just got the rights back to rom they they (laughs) they took the rights back from from uh uh, IDW, we got the rights back from Rom. We're going to do a whole dire wraith infestation in the Marvel Universe. You got the book, Daniel Warren Johnson. You're doing Rom. I'd say thank you so much. <laughs> I'm really busy at the moment. Oh, no. Wow. Oh, my heart just broke. Blowing it up. Damn. Damn. Blowing it up. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I'll turn down Rom, but I would take up Battlestar Galactica. Now we're talking. Oh, boy. <laughs> Damn. Well. I'll I'll read anything you do, so whatever. You do what you want to do. <laughs> cool. Are you OG BSG or new school B- BSG? Um, I am new school BSG. My I don't man. dislike old school, no, but that's I, right I haven't like spent much time with it. Nah, that's the right answer. Well, there's really not much Season of it. Season 3 was rough, though. Woo. It was, it was. The bat suit? Come on. Yeah, the battles the final the season three and then like the truncated season of of the third season of Deadwood are both they both hurt my heart, just for different reasons. But like two series I absolutely just love and could rewatch twenty times, but then just didn't finish on the right notes. Yeah, I did really like the way uh, season four ended at Battlestar Galactica, though. Yeah, yeah, no, they 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 uh, they kind of pulled out of the of the nosedive. It I, I know that it definitely I feel like. There's definitely a house divided. Like some people don't like it as it got as we got more answers. But I I I just rewatched it actually the whole thing I, over 
pandemic break. Um, and I, I thought it was as good as as I remembered it being, which which is unusual. I think I'm usually one of those kind of people that when I rewatch something, it's nowhere near as impactful. But I, I thought it was as well done as, as I remembered it to be. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Hmm. I can't speak to that because I've only seen a couple episodes. It's blasphemous. Did it bore you out of your skull? Uh, no, I saw the the first couple episodes because I was uh, intrigued by uh, Trisha. And then I watched the last episode just to see what everybody was complaining about. <laughs> and so it really didn't make any sense to me. Sure. Right? But I, I, So bookends. I've only uh, – she is very yeah. beautiful. And, and oh, Trisha Health? Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I have no, no, uh, I don't have a horse in that race. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and another thing that I'm always jealous of with, with people in your line of work is that you get to trade your art for other art. Cause I can't draw for shit. So I got, <laughs> I think I trade as greenbacks, but you can, you can be like, Oh, I'm going to do this dope thing for you. And you do this dope thing for me. I uh, I used to trade more when there were shows. Um, yeah, sure. And then when that, that's a when shows went away, you know, it's. We'll I, re- I, I I when uh, Matthias 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 Bergara. Oh yeah. Um, I got on, I got on his commission list, and um, I just paid straight cash for that because that's some beautiful work. Holy crap! <laughs> I can't talk about that. I can't talk about Bergara. I'm not. I, I can't bring myself to do it. Oh, I'm sorry. Is there, is there oh, a bad? No, 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 no. Oh, I was, okay. <laughs> I was, so, so I joke with Felix all the time that I that I have, I have commissions from like more than half of his people before he repped them, and and uh, obviously that's economically very beneficial. And I was literally <laughs> in the middle of negotiating commission with Matthias, and he went like radio silent. Oh and no! He was like, oh, you know, Felix is like, oh, I'm repping Matthias Bergar now. I'm like, God damn it! I'm like, oh, <laughs> you got me this time. So, he's great. He's an, he's an amazing amazing commission artist. He's the kind of art. That's the kind of artist that I look at it and it, and it takes my breath away. Yeah. Um, which you know, it, it it that doesn't happen very often for me. Like I, it's it's the kind of art. It's like you see it, it's like watching like seeing some of his artwork. It's like coming out of a movie theater after watching like a life changing movie. You're like, mm-hmm. oh my god! I'm so glad I was alive to see that. <laughs> That's some big compliment, but uh, it's he he, man. If anybody deserves that, it's him. He's incredible. Interesting. That that carries a lot of weight uh, coming from you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I'm gra- I gravitate towards you know artists that it looks like they're having fun while they draw. It looks unlabored, um, and Bergara screams that to me. I don't know if it's true or not, um, if that's what's going on in his brain as he's making it, but um, I just love I love seeing the I love seeing what he puts on a blank page. I mean, it's just incredible. And, and it's the kind of style that I would never be able to like emulate. Like I'm not going to be able to ever draw like that. Kind of like Darwin Cook, you know, but just to know that it exists is... Oh man! Right. So uh, it, I had a bit of a. This is early on in the pandemic, but um, I had just uh, I just finished a bunch of commissions, so I had a little bit of cash burning a hole in my pocket. And uh, uh, you know, Matthias had a art drop, and I 
I I maybe spent a little too much. <laughs> wow. Uh, but yeah. Oh man, he's so good. See, it just there's excitement in your voice. That's just awesome. When you talk about stuff that you're, there's that honesty again. Like whether you're talking about the book you're working on, or the the music you were listening to or playing, or this other guy's art. There's a genuine honesty in your voice and I, I i you can't get away from it i love it that's if if i had to pick one word if we're doing you know game show pick one word that describes daniel warren johnson boom you're honest <laughs> right on yeah <laughs> thanks man it's true yeah yeah so what else do we have here we have we covered all the bases what have you been reading daniel um the biggest thing is uh, I just finished the second volume of Darwin Cook's uh, mm. Parker series. I literally just finished it, um, and I'm just starting the second volume of Matsumoto's uh, Ping Pong. Um, and, gosh, other than that, uh, I'm that's like the only thing I'm reading right now. I'm playing a lot of video games, but I'm not reading a ton. Um, oh, really? What are you playing? Um, I'm playing this game on the Switch called uh, Hades. Have you heard I've of that? I've heard of it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you play the son of Hades, like the guy who lords over hell. Hmm. Um, and you're kind of like playing like a teenager that's kind of angry with your dad and rebellious. You're basically, your character's like, screw you, dad, I'm leaving this place, I'm going up to the <laughs> to the world. And your dad's like, foolish boy. And so the whole game is you're trying to fight your way out of hell, and you get different upgrades, and uh, the gods above like Hercules and, um, you know, Aphrodite's and, um, you know, the whole right. Zeus, all of those guys, they hear that the son of Hades is having a little bit of a rebellion. So they come down and they throw you little power-ups as you make your way through hell. And they have different little sayings as they, they're like, hello, boy, I see you're trying to get out of your father's grips. Good luck to you. Here's a power-up. And so they give you like a <laughs> thing which will like an electric bolt will go through like, 10 of your enemies it's like kind of an rpg kind of like diablo 3 on steroids like or on speed rather um and when you but you have to make it through the whole game without dying if you die once you get resurrected in this pool of blood right next to your bedroom in hades in hell um and you walk up and your dad's there and he's like how'd it go (laughs) and you're like screw you dad i'm gonna try this again and you run out, you do, you do it again, you're a little more powerful, and you run through it. You fail, come back, and your dad makes fun of you again. You do it over. It's For a pandemic game, you can't ask for much more than that. Wow. Is it a mature rating? or There's some blood. I don't actually know what it's rated. Um, it's uh, it's a, more of an indie developer game. I can't remember the name of the developer, but they're, they make fantastic stuff. Um, it's a... It's, and the... the the combat and the the game itself, like the, the the playability, is so it's so much fun to play that you don't mind going through it. And the way it's designed, it's different every time. Oh, so nice! So you play this, you, you know, the same variation of beings that you fight or whatever. But the all the level designs, it's random. It's like rolling a dice. Right. Um, so it's. It's really cool. It sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. I have a real problem with video games in that um, the more uh, compelling 
or convincing the the, the visuals are, um, th- I'll I'll pay more attention to the the artistry of the game instead of what's actually going on. Like sure. um, my son got uh, the the newest Doom, right? And I think oh, that game is just game. it's gorgeous, right? But if you don't pay attention to what's you know what's going what's happening, you're going to die really quickly in that game. And, <laughs> and I'm watching these giant pseudo angel things with this beautiful armor or that 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 spider thing, crab thing that that it's just I think the game is just a visual feast, but I can't play it. Because I'm looking at all the the great designs and what's the, you know the the world that they're throwing me into is so vivid that it just yeah it crushes any kind of playability for me. Yep, that's I think you'd have the same problem with Hades then because it's one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. Ah, well, I, <laughs> I guess maybe maybe it's a sacrifice I'll make, right? We'll see. It's like twenty bucks or something. It's oh, that's cheap. even better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like an indie game. You know, it's sweet. Uh, yeah, highly, highly, highly recommended. Nice. All right. Well, we highly, highly, highly recommend that you check out our sponsor because they're going to get the books that you want at the price you want to pay. What's the name of this place? Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com. One more time, that's DCBService.com. Get your books, get them fast, and deliver right to your door. The Invincible Red Sonia, number one. Get in on the ground floor of this because it's Jimmy and Amanda. Everybody knows them, everybody loves them, but it's illustrated by Moritat, which is almost better. From uh, AWA Upshot, you have Marjorie Finnegan, Temporal Criminal, number one, Garth Ennis, uh, illustrated by Goran Suzuka. And this little bad boy is $1.99. And here's the uh, the giant slab of meat on your plate. It's called Destroyer. The original Marvel Years omnibus with the Mike Plug cover, Will not cost you a hundred and a quarter. It will cost you sixty-two dollars and fifty cents. Go there, dcbservice.com. In your travels, I'm going to give Daniel uh, maybe a reason to read IDW's uh, current Transformers series. It's uh, it's actually a mini series called Transformers Escape. This is the second issue. Now, why would anybody want to read this thing? Yeah, I only... give it to me. I'm interested in this. Okay, I only want to tell you uh, there's one altercation early in the issue that won me over. Like, I was, it had me from jump. It's the Transformers. It's uh, Cybertron's doomed. Uh, a lot of planetary upheaval going on. The, a lot of the Transformers are leaving, they're fleeing. Um, and to do that, they need arcs. So, there's a lot of characters in the uh, series looking for the means by which to get off Cybertron. Uh, That's just the backdrop, though. There's an altercation early in this issue. Um, There's an awesome confrontation between the Insecticons. And in this uh, era of Transformers, there's only three. And you're like, what? What are you talking about? There's only three Insecticons. This is um, pre-coming-to-Earth Transformers. So you, you have Bombshell, Scrapnel, and Kickback. That's it. There's only three. And uh, Bombshell is the mouthpiece. Um, they're having this altercation with Shockwave. 
And the Insecticons know that Shockwave has Sound Blaster scooping up things he needs to jumpstart this cloning process that he wants to uh, embark upon. Um, and Bombshell's like, your army is gone. You, you don't have anything backing you up anymore. Everybody's leaving. We can be your army. But you, you got to make with that cloning, you know, you, you promised. And Shockwave's all, look at the process is not instantaneous. It's going to take time, all right? Uh, so Bombshell fires back. He's like, look, you tested us. You, you did your little thing. You tested us. You found us compatible. Start the damn process. And, you know, Shockwave's like, get the hell out of here. I'll call you when I need you. When, when, when I'm ready for you, you'll know it. So just go, right? And So the Insecticons leave. And, and Soundwave is like, wait a minute. You didn't tell them? And it seems that... The Insecticons are far more special than Shockwave was letting on. Uh, they're unique in the fact that they are extremely suitable to the cloning process. And, and here's the twist of the knife. Shockwave already has everything he needs to begin the process. He took it from them when he was testing them, right? And Shockwave's like, what? Are you kidding me? These guys are nuts. They're they're crazy. They're incredibly unstable. They're far more dangerous than they know. Why would I want an army of these idiots running around? It it's just not going to happen. But I mean, we all know that it does happen, right? The Insecticons in this in this miniseries they're complete bastards. Later in the issue, they start to make slaves. I won't spoil the details, but it's really it's extremely unpleasant, right? But when you look at it. In terms of the Transformers, you know, mythology, the Insecticons are really important because they, they poop Energon, right? They, they eat raw material and they poop the thing by which Transformers survive. They, right? They're insane and they're dangerous, but they perform a function that is essential to, to Cybertronian life. And if, if the, the premise to this series is to be believed, this is the last days of, of Cybertron. Right, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it's a really good book, really. But I love what what uh, IDW is doing with the uh, Transformers, and because this is a, a five issue mini, it's not going to kill you. Um, it's it's uh, on that little precipice when Primus goes from Orion Pax to Optimus Prime. He gets the Matrix of Leadership and all that, and uh, it's it's written by Brian Ruckley, illustrated by Beth McGuire Smith. And color art by Priscilla Tramontano. So it's two out of three, the women. It's awesome seeing women doing the Transformers, man. Uh, check it out. Transformers Escape number two from IDW. It's really great stuff. Yeah. Nice. I'm Googling it now. Currently on issue two. Uh, in your travels is something that... Um... I've been looking forward to, and um, first issue came out this week. I couldn't wait. Uh, I read the uh, image preview when they um, when they sent it. I just wanted to wait until it was actually out to to talk about it. But um, it is a uh, it's it's a translation. It, it's not. Um, it was originally. Um, published uh in in france uh it is called carmen 
and it is by uh, Guillaume March, who I've been a fan of since Gotham City Sirens and um, bulk of his DC work. Uh, the man knows how to draw women, and uh, there are definitely some women in this book. One kind of goes through the story fully nude, um, and I ain't upset about that at all. But basically, I'm not going to give anything away. I'm going to be usual vague self, but uh, the main character we're first introduced to, uh, her name is um, Catalina, and she has a um, she has a best friend, and his name is uh, Cisco. And uh, ten years after they become, um, well, they're they're friends in 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 elementary school. They get older. They um, they remain friends so much so that um, Cisco has a girlfriend who. She is very upset that uh, he spends as much time as he does with Catalina, and um, yeah, so she's got trust issues or whatever. But we just we don't we never see her face. She's she's always talking away from the reader. A um, bunch of panels on the page, and then um, years after that, Cisco is uh, having lunch with a um, with a woman who. Turns out, uh, appears to be Catalina's roommate, and Catalina's probably well. He's he's acting like there's more to their relationship. The, the Cisco Catalina's more the, the, that they're more than just friends. So he's he's kind of dodging her calls. They're they're uh, you know he's not he's not trying to answer the phone, um, and uh, she Catalina appears to go home and commit suicide. And while she's in the bathtub bleeding, this, um, let us say woman dressed in, uh, well, it looks like she's wearing a completely black skin tight outfit that just has a skeleton front and back, um, with, with with a human head, it's almost like it's a it's a full skeleton, uh, like, like the Grim Reaper without the robe, um, but you know, full head of hair, face, um, and nobody seems to nobody can see her, um, which leads me to believe that uh, she is, if not death, at least bringing you. Uh, explaining maybe the afterlife to you, but um, she uh, she moves through the house, the apartment, sorry, the, and and uh, goes to the bathroom where Catalina is there uh, with um, with her her wrist slit and uh, just looking up at um, at this figure uh, who she's Catalina can only see. Uh, because the roommate is asleep on on the sofa, um, headphones on, not paying attention to anything, and the rest of um, although when Catalina tells this woman, you know, you look like death, she says thanks, and 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 she turns, and and then now there's just a complete skull 
with with the the pinkish hair attached to it, which of course freaks Catalina out, and um, uh, Carmen is the woman in the skeleton suit who visits her. Um, she she's just having fun. She she she's she's trying to you know break the ice, smell the mood out a little bit, but she's kind of just explaining. Catalina's realizing that you know she can't. She can't pick up the phone. She can't touch a towel uh, to clean up this mess. She has no idea um, what's going on. You, as the reader, you may figure it out. Uh, but um, she and Carmen leave the apartment. And she kind of goes out and about into the city. And uh, she's able to float and fly. And there's just... there's. Catalina has assumptions about her neighbors and people in the city, and Carmen is kind of uh, explaining to her, you know, there's there's just two sides to the story, and um, what you may have thought about someone, uh, like like your neighbor, you know, who always you know, she smells of cats. She has so many cats, and and Carmen's like, she has two because her daughter died, and her and those were her daughter cats, her daughter's cats. So she took them in. It's like you know, so so Catalina just seems to realize that there was more going on than, than, than she was aware of. But, um, the conversation Carmen and, and Catalina have amuses the hell out of me. The art is, is fantastic. Um, it's, it's just interesting to see Catalina go from where she, where Carmen found her to where she, uh, kind of ends up by the end of the issue, which of course continues. I believe it's a five issue, um, mini series, but I, I had, I, I really, I, I, I would hope I don't I, I I hope people give this give this a chance. I know uh March has written and drawn other other um stories um in Europe. I believe this was originally uh this this came out in twenty twenty originally um overseas, so it's it's not like it's been sitting around for a while waiting to be translated, so it's it's here now, but um, but yeah, by all means, give it a shot. Carmen uh, from Image Comics, uh, Guillaume March is your uh, is your writer and artist, um, and I uh, I can't wait for the second issue. I, I really didn't know what to expect based on the solicit. I just saw March's name, so I figured I'm, I'm going to be there. Um, if there's a chance where he's going to draw the female form, even better. And uh, and yeah, I um I I really. The only complaint I have is that you know it, it's I gotta wait for the second issue. I I, I liked it a lot. The colors are great. Um, I was quite quite pleased with it. So yeah, if you get a chance, pick up Carmen number one from Image. He's really good at drawing bendy walls. Yeah. <laughs> the issue should come with a, with a disclaimer though. It it should say if you have any uh, aspirations of being an artist. You're going to look at this issue and you're going to say, yeah, I think I need another 10 years to hold my craft. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, dude is a talented dude. It is ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful book. Extremely Yeah, beautiful. no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Um, so in your travels, um, I I would love if you all checked out Aqua Atlantic. That's A-Q-A, A-Q-U-A-T-L-A-N-T-I-C, Aqua Atlantic, by Giorgio Carpenteri. Um, this was originally published in Italy in Italian, but it was ported over to the U S uh, a few weeks ago. 
by our good friends at Fantagraphics. Uh, and I was quite taken aback by it. It's it's just a stunning book visually. Um, it, it's it's a it's a surreal tale about um, like an undersea society that is fully conscious of our world, the above water world, the populace. Um, but they view us as illogical, barbaric, uh, and and as the fables go in their world, uh, a few of their people escaped from down under because they wanted to explore above surface and and they were the the progenitors of of the above and as a result of uh of all that they they people in in atlantis try hard to uh to not let us surface dwellers know they exist uh and this book centers around um a a person named Bo. uh he's an actor who is a method actor so he's currently uh doing a play where he plays a character named Etor Patria. And dude is like straight. He's just like the biggest asshole ever. He's vulgar. He's violent. He's misogynistic. And uh, he's a surface dweller in the, in the character is a surface dweller. And Bo, because he's a method actor, finds himself having a harder and harder time when he gets off stage from separating himself from the character and starts mistreating his friends and his loved ones. Um, the book's only 56 pages long. So, it packs a ton of, of story um, in, in what is effectively a, like a graphic novella. Um, but the narrative really, I mean, there is a narrative as I've alluded, but it, it's, to me, it's really about the visuals here. Um, I, I gotta say, I mean, I've read tens of thousands of comics over my life and I don't think I've seen many, if any, that look like this before. Um, Carpentry style. It's hard to describe it, but it's very graphic. It's, it's it's like a combination of art deco and cubism and and future like futuristic stuff it's very much like equal parts 50s noir and and sh- and sci-fi like schlock movies like the kind of stuff that Vince eats up like those those old school sci-fi B movies so it's it's this crazy visual mashup that really works from a graphic aesthetic uh it's beautifully colored and i just i linger on every page and panel because it's just is something that i i visually hadn't seen uh, really ever before. And so um, I, I think all of us on, on this chat tonight are huge fans of the art side of comics. And I think if you lean one way or the other, then if you're on the art side, this is a book you really need to check out. So uh, once again, it's Aqua Atlantic from Fantagraphics. Looks amazing. It is, man. It's, it's, it is amazing. It really is. Fanta knows what they're doing. It's true. So uh, why don't you tell them in your travels to read your book? <laughs> uh, my book? <laughs> yeah, we haven't been doing that. Uh, or anything else you'd like to read. Tell us about this this Pong book. I, I'm not familiar with this. Hold on. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to go grab it because it, it's easier for me to talk about. Just give me tw- sure. two seconds. Sure. <laughs> cool. Uh... Dude, I, in, in the midst of all day today, I got the... An email from IST that my order of the um, Conan, the, the Mahmoud twelve issue Conan book, was uh, was like indefinitely back ordered. <gasps> no, yeah, get out of here. Yeah. Uh, David, you take a picture with your copy, and I'll take a picture with mine, and we'll send it to him. <laughs> Why did, did you just miss it when when it was? I didn't. Pre- I guess I I didn't pre-order it. Um, somehow I I mean I certainly intended to, but I must have just missed it when I filled out my sheet. Uh-huh. So then I realized that when it didn't come, like when it didn't arrive, when you all got it, and I looked at my 
DCBS to see if it was coming and it, it just looked like I had somehow forgotten to order it. So then I just went to IST and I ordered it. Sure. And, uh, Lo and behold, uh, I guess I. But I, sorry, I got, I got it from Amazon today for twenty three bucks. So. That's right. I was just yeah. being a dick, but uh, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, it's it's a real problem. Like, so I, I have an idea. So my. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. no, no. no. We were, we were chit chatting about non important stuff waiting for you. So go ahead. So my uh, in your travels uh, is a manga by Tayo Matsumoto, who uh, you know, he's a manga artist and. I don't know if anybody's running any of his stuff, but he does air more on the side of the, I guess if you can call it like the indie, uh, maybe a manga, a manga artist with a bit of a more indie flair. Um, I'm pretty sure he draws everything himself. I don't, it, the way that his backgrounds are drawn, um, I don't know how familiar everybody here is with like current manga, but there's a lot of photo tracing. Um, or just photo manipulation in the backgrounds, which I don't fault any artists for doing, but um, it definitely excites me more when I see an artist drawing things in the background just in their own style. And uh, Matsumoto's definitely doing that. And this is just a book about a high school um, ping-pong team uh, in Japan. And uh, they it, it's kind of like a sports manga just about ping-pong and... Um, the main character is very shy and doesn't really like to. It basically doesn't doesn't like to show off. Uh, he's very 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 afraid of showing anybody up, especially his best friend, who is on the same ping pong team, who is also very talented and is not afraid to let it rip. So it's kind of a high school drama, uh, kind of coming of age boyhood drama, um, and. You know, with uh, two characters kind of like testing the limits of their sporting skill and ability. And the art style is really awesome. I'm flipping through it now, and you'd never think there'd be so many ways to draw somebody hitting a ping pong ball. Um, But Matsumoto hits it all right on the head. It's fantastic stuff. And, you know, the art style, I mean, might be a little bit jarring, but one thing I really appreciate is that. Unlike a lot of manga art that you see today, all the characters really do look different. It's not just same face, different haircut, um, which I really appreciate. And also, uh, as I'm sure if anybody knows my art, knows that I love speed lines. Uh, Matsumoto, during these action scenes, which are uh, you know two characters playing ping pong, he you know, these characters they play in a warehouse. Um, like a big like school dormitory warehouse thing. And the warehouse has these railings or these uh, steel beams that support it lengthwise. So instead of having speed lines, he basically just illustrates the ceiling of this warehouse, which he's using the background as speed lines. So he's not actually really drawing speed lines. They're just part of the environment. And he does this a lot. And it's a really cool organic way to imply movement without necessarily looking so much like the manga tropes that we are kind of used to. Um, and also it's just a really, it's an intense story and there's, you know, the, the ping pong master that's like helping, uh, his students learn and nobody realizes how much of a legend he truly is and how he almost had his chance at glory. And, you know, you've got the sports tropes, but they're all done really well. And in the context of ping pong, it's, uh, it's very fresh. So 
Highly recommended. I believe there's two volumes out now. They're pretty chunky. They're big. Um, they're beautiful. The cover design is fantastic. Yeah, it's atypical um, though, right? Because it's 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 very um, uh, it's odd that they would just put a bunch of panels on the cover and then just that one stamp that says ping pong. It's awesome. I think it's a very uh, against the grain design, which is nice. It stands out because of that, right? I agree. I yeah. think it looks really, really great. Yeah. So that's we, that's my suggestion. We've covered um, Gogo Monster and and Sunny in the past, but I have yet to read this, so I'm gonna have to get on it. Nice. Uh, tell me, these are hardcover? Are they hardcover? They're not hardcover, but they're not your traditional like cheapo manga fair. They're they're nice. Um. They're like the same material that you have on the big Silver Surfer Black thing that we were talking about before. Nice. Cool. Yeah. I got to get it. It's very well done. Yeah. Yep. Good call, Daniel Warren Johnson. Thank you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and thank you for spending time with us. We, we, we just love to have you here. Wait. Hope I didn't bore anybody. Oh, boy. Oh, God, no. Anytime, uh, we, anytime I go on a wrestling tangent, I'm worried. Don't do that. Don't worry here. Um, before we do sign off, we should let anybody know who hasn't yet voted since polls close tomorrow, um, that the March book of the month is live and waiting for your vote. We have 61 votes at the moment, um, and a very close race, uh, with, uh, Something that Vince wasn't really expecting, I think. But what? Uh, it wants me to verify the device. I wanted to go see what the votes were, but I can't because I have to verify the damn device. Well, why don't you just tell tell everyone what the eleven choices are? Yes, and then, yeah, yes. Uh, but I can I can uh, verify that for Vince real quick. So um, your eleven choices are a train called Love by Garth Ennis and Mark Dos Santos, uh, Animal Farm, the graphic novel by Odier. Brain Drain by Pierre-Henri Gaumont. Just a Pilgrim by Garth Ennis and Carlos Esquera. Kid Eternity by Grant Morrison and Duncan Fredredo. Open Hearted by Nicholas Karamitis. Scene of the Crime by Ed Brubaker and Michael Lark with Sean Phillips. Spider-Man The Complete Clone Saga Epic Book 1 by Various. Star Wars Legacy Volume 1 Broken uh, by John Ostrander and Jan Dersima. Tales of the Green Lantern Corps, Volume 1, by Various and World Without End, by Jamie Delano and John Higgins. And um, currently in the lead is uh, Star Wars Legacy, Volume 1, Broken. That's cool. Uh, That's good. It's a great just, series. Just, it's not, it, it's, it looks like the, 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 uh, the version that I have, the edition that I have from, because um, some of these are from Humble Bundles. So uh, this one is not because if you go to Amazon or you go to Comicsology or anything like that, there's there is a volume one, but it looks like it looks like the first nineteen issues or so. This is just, um, I guess, the f- maybe the first arc and change. It's it's like issues one, two, and three, and five, and and a couple others. So I, I'm I'm sure it's a specific arc but it's not the uh if you do get the ver if you have the complete if you have the deluxe edition or whatever if you order it from comiXology um 
we're not going to probably discuss the entire volume because I don't have access to the entire volume. But uh, but currently that is that is winning just barely yeah ahead of Scene of the Crime, which uh, just was re released from Image, I believe, this week or last month. But uh, it was um, so that that's available, um, and and some of these Europe comics I'll be reading in the near future regardless of uh well the probably i mean it it i was really I, I, I was happy with with this list because a lot of most of it is uh is all new and all new to the polls and uh with the exception of a couple but uh i know some people were thinking what would be the the far and away winner some uh some thought maybe Things that uh, don't have many votes would have gotten a lot more based on recent discussions and, um, I guess, just top of mind type stuff. But yeah, so so get your vote in. By the time you hear this in a few hours, uh, you'll be able to vote until four or five Eastern time, March twelfth. So um, go ahead, let us know what we're going to read later this month. I'm looking forward to anything on this list, really. It's almost unfair at this point to put a Brubaker Phillips book on the on the book of the month. I mean, yeah, it's it's really close, uh, but there's still a chance that it could swing scene of the crime's way. So I'm just, yep. I mean, I'm just saying, a Brubaker Phillips book tips the the scale every time, which is good, right? Just and I mean, and it's 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 something that a a non-canon type. Star Wars tale is is really one of the few things that could knock a uh, Brubaker Phillips book out, but barely, you know. So yeah, so there's still a few hours. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm I got both ready to go, regardless. But uh, but yeah, so this this is, and then I'm gonna go ahead and read Open Hearted anyway because I like the look of it. But and Brain Drain looks like looks crazy. I I definitely want to read that. So there you go. That's the book of the month. Vote on it. Get your votes in because uh, we got to know. And we don't like waiting. So there you go. One more time, we would love to thank Daniel Warren Johnson for being here with us. Always a pleasure, my good man. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, guys. If you would be so kind, if you want some more of this experience go to twitter and reddit and instagram and facebook it's all on there and if you want to check out the uh, patreon page what you do is you go to patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics one one no apostrophe and you will see everything that we have for you on there do it my man i love you in the meantime say good night Good night. I have nothing to make. I have nothing to make sound with. Ah, well, David. (laughs) Oh, I have my guitar here. Oh, that would be the best. The best sound ever. Good night. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) And you're playing Tom Petty. No, you're not, David. Nice. You're playing just a little bit. You're playing uh, Super Tramp. Uh, no, I was playing Tom Petty. Okay, it could have been either, but yeah, good. That's because it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. Awesome. You did it. You did it, David. You did it wonderfully. I'm, I'm the boss. Tell them you love them.
Love you. <laughs> That's it. That's it for that one.